Hey, this is Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to Signal of Doom. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Hello and welcome to Signal of Doom. It's a very special episode. We have legendary Jeff Grubb. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing real well. How about you? Mate, it's fantastic here. Sydney, Australia, very hot today. We've, we're in, in the middle of a hot season. Uh, if we're in the yes, Forgotten I've Realms, we'll be in the middle really of a desert. Yeah, it's really hot down there. Yeah, it's, oh, it's been warm, mm-hmm. yeah. Now, Jeff, um, for listeners uh, who might not be aware, Jeff is a, is, a, is a legend, really, in terms of role-playing games, computer games. I mean, Jeff, you were at um, TSR during the whole Forgotten Realms. Yes. You were a traffic cop. Um, yes, yeah. helped yeah. bring the realms into TSR. Yes, and we're going to cover all this kind of stuff. Now, we were just talking before the show, Jeff, and I, I know there's going to be a lot of D&D stuff, but I always like to ask people, what are they doing now? And you were mentioning that you're working, is it on Elder Scrolls Online? Elder Scrolls Online. I'm a senior writer yes. on the team on Elder Scrolls Online. We just released Necrom uh-huh. at this time, which was our it has the first stuff that I've written for them. Wow. And uh, actually, a lot of old TSR Watsy hands are working there. Uh, Bill Slavisek, Rich Baker, Ted, uh, Ed Stark, Miranda Horner, uh, all of these, you know, so it's a sort of the next step up it's the generation of we've graduated yeah. to doing uh, uh um computer games as opposed to tabletop i think it's great because like i mean i i i play you know a fair bit of computer games frankly and i love that the the deep world in all those kind of rpgs and and your elder scrolls mm-hmm. online and I mean, a lot of work must go into it. And I guess my question um, from someone like yourself who's like a writer, like what does your day consist of in terms of how much product do you have to give like the team, I guess, to feed in and and make this sort of stuff? Like how much are we talking on a weekly basis? Uh, We're talking a a goodly amount. Uh, The writing team is responsible for all the player-faced content. And we have an excellent content team that's coming up with adventures and and concepts and, you know, how the various quests are going to work. And then how we present it uh, comes in through the writing group. And we uh, help, you know, build the lore. We do lore books. We do songs. We do, you know, uh, conversations that you encounter counter yeah. in the in the middle of the city uh cool. and just a whole variety of different types of adventures at different levels yeah. we have the main storyline which is the big epic and then we have a, like all this independent content which are uh is on the side we've got delves which are sort of our dungeons you know yeah. which are self-contained and and it's just like we've got a wide variety of options for storytelling it must keep you guys so busy because, I mean, how long has Elder Scrolls Online been going? It feels like a long time. It's coming up on 10 years. We're wow. coming up on our 10th year anniversary. Wow, and, and, the and stuff that's I, great. Yeah. And the stuff I can't talk about sure. is, you know, what are we doing for it? So, <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't mean to, to probe too much. You know, I just, I'm always fascinated by guys like yourself who've got just solid background and all this tabletop, but then you, it, it seems like a pretty easy not easy or natural fit because all these computer games require i play a lot of assassin's creed and they require a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of content inside the game because they're big games you know someone's got to do it 
Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's and it has changed early on. It was, you know, like, you know, the, the often the narrative person, the writer was the guy who designed the game. Sure. And, you know, with, with small operations, we're talking, you know, 20 years ago. And as time has gone by, the whole idea of narrative designers and full time writers has evolved into that space. Mm. And they are often looking for people with the experience and the history and the background. And a lot of, you know, what you see in computer games comes out of the tabletop games that, you know, you played back when you were in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to cover it on this on this show, but something that amazes me when I read the old, you know, source books and stuff is just the level of detail. I, I sometimes think, oh, my God, how does anyone come up with all this? Like, you, you know, like it's it's like a full-on world, and it's very – at times the it gets quite detailed, and which, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, like I, I one of my questions is when you're doing – like back – Back in the day, in the 80s, say, when you're doing one of the source books, and I've got a few mentions like Al-Kadim, for example, and stuff like that, like, how long would it take you to write one? Like, is it like a month or oh, is it six goodness. months? Yeah. As far as the hands-on writing for it, mm. it was often, you know, a module unit, 32 page in a mm. month. And we, in addition, any type of research and background and source material, mm. basically was stuff that you were working on in addition and leading up to it. Um, we talked about Al-Kadima. I'm going to mention this story just you know briefly. Mm. When we started talking about Al-Kadima, uh, John Pickens, who was one of our editors, mm. started collecting books mm. on Arabian legends and, mm. and society. And, you know, when we got the go-ahead for it, he came over to my cube with a box full <laughs> of books. Really? <laughs> Basically, I, I've picked these up over the past, you know, five months. Can, can we, they might be useful, and they were incredibly useful. There was a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of different background that helped contribute to make Al-Kadim what it was. It's a, it's a great um, – I love it. I was reading it because, I mean, I read it back in the day, but it was a long time ago, and I reread it oh, yeah. sort of leading up to this interview, and it's such an incredibly detailed canvas. And obviously you're taking it inspiration is. from uh, also almost like the, the desert kingdoms of stuff of like, you know, the Middle Ages or whatever. Like it's, it's all sort of mm – -hmm. it's there, and mixing it with like Arabian Nights kind of Aladdin feel um, – I don't know. Right. I just it was it was it a, was it a bit of a passion project for you because it feels like that when I read it, like it's very detailed. It was, it was. I had been reading the uh, reading the Burton's Arabian Nights mm. uh, for some time before it, so I had the you know the interest level there. Yeah. And we looked at not only the historical uh, sure. um, Mid East, but also uh, Burton's. Uh, stories that came out of there yeah. and also the movies that yeah. were based on how the western media has treated that oh, totally. i always say yeah. that yeah, for sure. um yeah i always say that al-kadim is as accurate to uh medieval uh arabian history as the forgotten realm is to european history and which is sure. to say we take some liberties up there as well. Oh, 100%. Yeah, well, it's kind of a mesh, um, like a melding of stuff, isn't it? Like, for example, I, you know, I, I love there's a section where it talks one of the cities that they've got like a Wizards Legion, I forget what they're called, but it's like 50 wizards all on flying carpets. And I was like, that's so cool. Yes. Just the thought of that. That's like, an epic. That's an, that's an image that we can play with, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. And I, I think that's one of the 
fractions of that particular genre is that you know a sense of wonder and the that genies as well there. like there's a lot of genies in the source book like i don't remember mm-hmm. the big like and i love genie stories and and it's almost like what i also like about it is you could easily have that you know what they call like a homebrew campaign well you would know this but it's like a made-up campaign yeah. at home but you could tack on that you know whatever it is continent peninsula whatever it's called or you could put it in Forgotten right. Realms. It's either one. You don't need, you know what I mean? It's it, You can sort of cut and paste it, which I like. You, you can build your own campaign around uh, Al-Kadim. You can basically attach it to your existing campaign. You can run it as part of the realms. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I've always said about the various game products that we did was they were eminently lootable. Yeah, you could basically absolutely. take, ooh, I really like this class, or I really like this monster. And you can basically port it over. And yeah. the universal language that was Dungeons & Dragons allowed us to do that. And back when I was playing the games back in the late 70s mm. uh, in college, you know, we li- we we liberated a lot of material from, you know, other popular sources there was a period where every campaign i was in that had lightsabers you know (laughs) and it was just like we brought it over Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's actually like in a fantasy game as well in a fantasy game sure yeah cool wow i would have loved to have had a lightsaber the the holy holy swords that sort of thing yeah Yeah. so and it varied you know sometimes we something of course we're building our own rules as we as we bring it in yeah and that's one of the things that made D really cool is we were pushing a lot of boundaries back and we were bringing in um i've always said the realms was everyone's campaign from 1978 you know basically because <laughs> yeah. it's just a huge sprawl and there's so much stuff when we started on the realms we saw it very much as a place where you could put a whole bunch of things that were orphans yeah. in the in the game like uh, uh pharaoh lost tomb of martek uh the end series so game uh adventures that were created and they didn't really have a home and the realms was so large and yes. so deep yeah. that we could basically just you know really attach everything to it did you have um and we're going to get into it i know ed greenwood came up with it all and, and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff but did you yes have that like a the- big map mm-hmm. in your office to keep track of everything like because I get confused by where yes. stuff is constantly. <laughs> I well, we had a map um, when we started doing um, uh, the Forgotten Realms. Ed sent me the map of the realms, mm. which he had he had a, a big piece of Bristol board, and he took it to the library. He's a librarian, was a yes. librarian, in, yep. you know, in, in his day job, and photocopied like twenty four eight and a half half pieces of paper and wow. we you know he, he arrived and we <laughs> taped it all together wow. and i drew the outlines of the coasts in blue highlighter and, yeah. and the forest in green highlighter and everything and it was posted right outside my my, my cube so i basically whenever we had a discussion we could you know basically look at it and say okay this is what it looks like this is what's here and and the early days the first couple years yeah. because because we had different creatures creatives working in different areas we could say okay uh doug you've got um uh the moonshades here's where we've redrawn the moonshades to fit what you're doing and it's right here uh the h series that's up north up here we're going to drain back the glacier a little bit so we did make (laughs) modifications to his original world here's where we're going to put uh martek here's where we're going to farm out to uh there's a there's a group an online group it was aol or CompuServe that was interested in one of our cities they got baldur's gate 
you know, part of a home base for it. They did a lot with that, yeah. So, so we basically, and also along the spine of the world for, for yes. another computer group, and they were setting adventures, and where are we going to put the RPGA? And the area was divvied up in such a way not to say, this is theirs, don't go there, yeah. but this is their, the prime movers. If you're going there, you're going to have to talk to them. Okay, as far as the creatives yeah. were concerned, I see. So, right. so you it was to kind of navigate. To we, navigate. We, we mentioned uh, we mentioned I was the traffic cop of the realms, yes. and that was part of my job is that basically making sure all the pieces slid together uh, relatively neatly. And of course, it was still new, and we could able to change the map and basically make allowances. And this was it was much easier there. We have a long, long history of the realms now, uh, and you know, wow. Ed still is you know creating more and explaining more and doing this, you know, wonderful stuff with the Edverse as far as, you know, telling people about the realms itself. He's got a mind which is amazing in yes, how he, he conceives it all. Like, we've had him on the show a couple times. Firstly, the nicest guy in the world. You know what I mean? Like, um, yes, he is. He's just mm-hmm. he's such a nice person. But his mind, it reminds me, and I'm sure there's other examples, but it reminds me of like a Tolkien world builder. Like it's so deep how he goes in his thoughts about it all. Like I don't know how he keeps it on his brain because I struggle to remember where cities are, you know? <laughs> well, the, the thing, thing for Ed is much like uh, Tolkien is he had in existence before mm. – the realms was created. He was writing stories yeah. that were set in this world. And when D and D came along, he started using D and D as a storytelling mechanism for yeah. his friends. And they yeah. had the golden fields. And they had the uh, adventurers that based out of Cor- out of uh, Shadowdale. And they were, you know, basically these became hubs and places to expand out the story is, is that he had already in place. So he basically built uh, a lot of it. Some of it as he was going along with his players. He would, sure. um, you know, he would joke that, you know, they would go to into an area that he's never been in before. <laughs> and he would break to, you know, get some munchies. And he's in the kitchen <laughs> working furiously to basically figure out what's in this area. So, and that's cool because so, that's classic when he, Dungeon Master stuff. That's, that's well, cool. Yeah, I mean, this comes out of a played game, and he, you know, would send me these packets wrapped in Canadian <laughs> saran wrap, which is this heavy stuff you can use to insulate windows, and just in foil and everything. And you know, these were these these were the Bible. These were the this were the Bible that yeah. basically. Um, uh, we worked off of and basically filtered in to become part of the part of the realms itself. I, I should make one more mention of the map. Sure. The map, the map that I had, the map mm. that hung outside the cube, mm. is currently in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. I don't know if he told you this. No, no, no. Uh, Ed Kramer, Ed Kramer, the guy who runs uh, uh, Gamehole Con. Uh, the Gamehole is the upper story of a restaurant that they had and that was their gaming area and he has a fantastic uh collection of different editions of all in different printings mm. of all the tsr game uh, material and he got a hold uh he bought it from got it from uh, my uh former one of my former editors uh, mm. julia martin and basically it's hanging it's basically under glass and hanging from the the ceiling. That's so cool. So it's, it's, it's the ceiling above where they're playing right now. And yeah, that, wow, that's, that's what really happened cool. to that old. Because uh, when I left, I basically you know 
you know, she inherited all the sure, stuff. Sure. So. <laughs> and I wonder mm-hmm. if um, I, I wonder if they put out like TSR must have put out like maps, like be like Atlas maps. I guess like you have an Atlas map of the globe. It would make sense to have. We them did. Like that, you know. We did an atlas of the Forgotten Realms right. and an atlas of Dragonlance. Karen Wynne Fonstadt, who did the Tolkien atlases, right. came on board for those two projects. So, and literally for the Forgotten Realms, it was after like the, using the material from the first year of the novels. So, so there's you know, yeah. uh, the uh, Streams of Silver, um, Moonshea, yeah. uh, Azure Bonds. Those early books were basically folded in at that point. And so she did a lot of like a three dimensional uh, rendering of uh, Elminster's Tower or the, cool. the, how the old Skull Inn looked. And all of this basically. So we had Atlas books. I don't think we've done it since then. Uh, one of the tricks we did with the realms uh-huh. is as we expanded out areas, we kept expanding out the map. You know, in the original set, you had basically from uh, the Sea of Fallen Stars to the Sword Coast as two big maps that you had. And then as we added more territories, you know, talking about uh, the North, talking about uh, the um, um, Empires of the Sand, uh, uh, Kalmashan, we added those maps. So basically, they all came together over time. I love Kalamport. Kalamport? That's one. hmm? Uh, Kalampur. I Kalimpur. love Kalampur. We had some adventures there. It was great. Kalam Kalam Shan was the was yeah. the name of the uh, name of the nation. Yes, right, right. Kalimpur okay. was the was the city there. It was mm-hmm. the city? Yeah, it was great. The, it was that was a fantastic era. Like with, I remember that was a really fun adventure. Like we had there. But um, I, I've got a, I've got a question for you. Um, in the like from the mid eighties through, I mean at least through to the early nineties, I remember it was like an explosion of product and. It seemed like it was a very fertile, creative place that mixed with like extreme commerce. Like you were selling hard to your base, and I was certainly one of them and my friends. How was it to be at mm-hmm. Ground Zero? Because it, it, there seems like there's tons of content. Was it super busy at TSR during that period? Yes, it was pandemonium. Was it? Uh, we had, you know, because we had not only uh, the realms, mm. but Dragonlance. Oh, yeah. And new worlds that we were creating and new games that we were creating. For, uh, Marvel superheroes showed up during this period. It was a very fertile uh, area. And we had an on, on, um, we had an in-house staff, yeah. which you know varied in numbers. The lowest number was like four game designers at one point after you know several layoffs. Uh-huh. We also had a very uh, dedicated pool of freelancers, and they were working through Bruce Hurt, who uh-huh. uh, was our uh, uh, um, well, first John Pickens and then Bruce Hurt, who were our um, freelance. Uh, guys, directors, yeah. effectively what they were. And they were basically you coordinating everything and getting stuff in from outside. And then the uh, project leaders, uh, I was one for the realms initially, and they switched me off and they brought me back a couple times. And, you know, they were responsible to make sure it all fit together. So were you, like, that is crazy. So you know how they had, I mean, you know you were there, all, all these um, source books coming out plus novels when mm-hmm. you're saying you're a traffic cop, are you having to sort of say, yeah, okay, that's coming out this month and what, hold two months later, then we'll drop this and kind of like managing almost like how comics come out. Are you having to manage that kind of thing? Is that part of your job? Well, not really. It, well, it, yes and no. 
Right. Um, the as far as in the process that everything's it's more like traffic cop in that all the traffic is coming at you all at once. <laughs> <laughs> You're there at the intersection and you got stuff coming one road, coming going, and the idea of sorting it all out without it snaring is is part of the challenge. Um, and our editors did a lot of you know coordinating the schedules, making sure, but. Every year for many for many years, um, we would all put in what we wanted to see done for the next year. You right. Know, yes. What it's we like a plan. Do we like, this is what we're line. Do. Here's a pitch. Yeah. Here's an idea. Yep. Here's what we're going to do. We got to get. We want to do half a dozen. You know, uh, Greyhawk projects. And Jim Ward, who was our uh, uh, director and also the creator of Gamma World, right. uh, and I would go into the uh, back corner where we had an Apple Mac 2, and I was the Mac user in the group, what, so I knew how to use, is, like, page, this, like PageMaker. Is this late 80s? Or Pardon? What, what era is yeah, this? Yeah, this was, this, was, this was 80s. This was later 80s. Okay. You know, this was, you know, and, and what we would do is we would sit down and we would basically lay out the schedule when we wanted to release all of this because you could not release five box sets no, right no, on yeah. top of Gen Con. You had to had to you had to you had to jiggle and you had to basically figure out what we would do and things got dropped off and things got moved back. And you know, we finally came up with, you know, a, a plan that was presented and then then upper management would approve or, you know, basically ask for further changes or new additions. And we would go back and we basically hacked out the schedule in the corner of that uh of the design area yeah. uh every 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 year and it was you know this was a lot of you know a great challenge and a lot of fun we also were looking at how big are the projects yeah. you know um you know are we going to do you know a whole bunch of small projects like we did in the early marvel marvel era or do we do like big box sets okay and if we do a box set jim was very good at standardizing the size of our box Set. You, you have, at one point by the time we got to like Al or Spelljammer, it was you have two uh, 96 page books or 96 right. or yep. uh, 96 page book and a 64 page book and a 32 page book. And you've got 24 pieces of uh, cardboard, eight and a half by 11. What you do with those <laughs> is up to you. <laughs> but but you're going to you, have them anyway. Like word, okay? it's almost like so we standardized yeah. a lot of the uh, release. Hmm? It's almost like a word count. Like he's like, you've got this level of space, knock it out of the park, don't go over, and mm -hmm. I guess you got a pretty big deadline as well. We also got a pretty big deadline, and they, they lay them out, and we lay them out for the full year because it's a, it's an amount of work, and then getting it done is always a challenge. And you know, just talking numbers for a second, like something like the I remember. At, I'm a young teenager. The first Forgotten Realms like campaign set or whatever it was came out, and that was a big mm -hmm. deal. Also, can I say I've always said brilliant logo for the Forgotten Realms. Always thought it was brilliant. <laughs> you, you know, whoever came up with that logo, there's a, there's a story there too. Is there mm -hmm. really? Yeah. <laughs> Who was? Oh the gosh, yes. Yeah. Um, it's great. I think it was Keith Parkinson, the late Keith Parkinson, who did the logo, and he did about four versions of it yeah uh he, the original was just in gray stone mm. um and the runes were uh, the runes are at the top we're supposed to say welcome to the exciting forgotten realms oh, okay. and as time went by we lost that 
in the in in the in the revisions. Yeah. But they said, okay, this this looks kind of dull, so we we, we put some gold gold in there. Yeah, you know, yeah, gold, yeah. Gold, uh, uh, it looks great, man. I, and I then, think then it's all copies. Then we put a, a dark green background, and then we put gems in there. And <laughs> Every, every time it went up a level of approval, we added more stuff. And I'm sure if there was a level above president, there would have been flowers and trumpet vines on, <laughs> on, on the top of it as well. So, well, it, it, it really, but yeah, it was a great logo. Yeah, yeah, and it looked mysterious with the name Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. There was an Like as a young guy, I'm like, man, if this feels mysterious and like I'm entering literally a whole new world. And I know D&D, you know, like I knew the rules. And so it was kind of like great to have a whole world to play in. You know what I mean? It was it was crazy. Now, um, we had a couple of questions here. And, and, they, and they were Forgotten Realms. Go ahead. Oh, no. Okay. I was going to say, the Forgotten Realms, the Forgotten Realms as a name comes from Ed. Mm. And the idea that this, these are an existing universe on the outside, and we're discovering it. We're revealing it. I mean, this came out of uh, articles, uh, the first exposure to a lot of people to the realms was in articles in dragon magazine and ed would write up uh nine swords of the realms and you know basically have a story attached to him where ed, uh, where elman up at his house drinks his beer and says let me tell you about nine nine swords of the realms and he did, did that in an article kim mohan the uh editor removed the story and, and and print the nine swords he just said, "Oh, what the heck!" and just started telling the story. Yeah, as well, and that is sort of where the ground base of the realms comes from, as far as most people were. And that's where I first encountered it. Yeah, was in those articles. So you know, yeah, like right, right at the uh, start. Yeah, like so. Um, yeah. I've got a question. Um, uh, Elizabeth, listener, Elizabeth Kellershem, um, she asks, while traffic cop of the realms, you're in charge of enforcing TSR's policy of not blowing up the moon. How often did someone <laughs> try that, and were you ever tempted to look the other way? Um, <laughs> I'm the one who basically, basically I always said the realms had one one rule, don't blow up the moon. <laughs> don't make so uh, such a big change yeah. in your product that it required us to rejigger everything else we would do that in huge like uh, uh the avatar Christ. yeah but we you know plan that two cases with very talented uh creatives where they ended the story blowing up the moon right and yeah. oh and we we had to walk that one back mm. um often it was a case where if they come up with a really good idea and there's nothing like that that says, okay, I'm sorry, this violates this over here. Um, we said, yeah, go for it. Do it. And yeah. so people kept – because this is, this is something that has stayed with me through uh, TSR and WOTC and other, pro- other projects that I've worked on and, and, and led sure. is people do better when they have a piece of the action. Sure. If you know, if you feel like you're like you're contributing and you're helping to uh, mold the world, mm. the engagement level from your creatives is much higher than here's 32 pages go. Yeah, just churn and burn. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I get that. Now, um, Michael asks, um, <laughs> this is funny. What went through your mind when you made the fateful call to Ed to purchase the Forgotten Realms? Was it like calling the Pope? <laughs> No, no, it was um, okay. The, backing up for the the whole story, of course, we had Dragonlance. Yes, and Dragonlance was doing well, and the novels came out, and things were in the 
a lot of the you know uh, intensity was building on that, but there was a concern that um, it was going to fade. Sure. You know it, they're going to finish it up and then we're going to be done. So next, and I was the poor schmuck who basically said, well. Ed Greenwood has all these articles that he's yeah. you know, been writing for Dragon Magazine. Maybe there's a world there. And they say, okay, Jeff, you call him and find out. <laughs> right, yeah, and, and what a fightful <laughs> and call. So I, I, and and I, I called him up and said, Ed, we're, we're interested in, in buying your world. And, and Ed's initial response was, well, since you've printed my articles, I thought, you know, you already owned it. That's nice. And I... I paused for a moment and said, Ed, I'm not going to tell anybody you said that. (laughs) Instead, let us buy your material, what you've got, and use it as a basis. And we we gave him a a small amount of money, a promise of uh, um, uh, publishing books that he's written, and a Apple Apple Plus computer. Oh, cool. Without a hard drive, right? Okay. So he's busy swapping disks and you know basically uh, uh, trying to make it was like an SE. You know they're swapping disks to basically get things on. He goes, and after the first year, we got him a hard drive to go with the uh, the Apple. So <laughs> literally, he did a lot of you know. So he really you know could generate a lot of new material. What he sent was material that he had written and typed up right. and often cut up and then re positioned on the page so it made sense so he had sometimes had lines that were running uh, vertically where you know he was trying to make make everything fit onto a single sheet of paper and he, he just uh, and, and of course at one point he was working off a, off a typewriter yeah. that didn't have a good T key right. the T key was broken mm. so he would write up type up a page and then he would go through and he would hand draw the T's into the manuscript. He's very committed. And so it was like, you, you know, super committed, man. He, like, he was, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it was like working with a little tiny graveyard. Uh, <laughs> as far as uh, <laughs> but, but but that that was yeah. sort of what we had at the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, and in that original gray box, there's a lot of material that's listed as Elminster's notes. Yeah. And a lot of that is Ed's material that he sent, you know, that he goes, well, he's got a huge amount on Rashomon. Let's let's put it in, mm. you know, that sort of thing. So, and that often involved situations where he had designed something for his gaming group, and yeah. you know, basically, so he had that available. Yeah, he must have. Um, it reminds me of you remember in Lord of the Rings, like the archives. Like he's just got like a lot of background material but he's also play tested a lot of mm-hmm. it so it's like it, he knows it will kind of work you know you know what i mean like he's he's actually been to i assume a water deep or wherever and and he's he's road tested it with the gaming group which actually is a big advantage isn't it and and that and the fact that he's been writing various articles as well so it yeah. becomes a living world and i think living worlds have a, an ex, a great advantage in the fact they've been re- in the fact, you know, pieces that don't work, uh, pieces that are more of a challenge, those can quietly fade away for the final publication. Definitely. Now, um, I did mean to ask, we ask a question at the start of every conversation. Um, it's Betty mm-hmm. or Veronica. Uh, you, <laughs> it's our single of doom question. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a favourite between Betty or Veronica? <laughs> uh, I, I, I 
Uh, I prefer Marianne over Ginger. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, but the uh, <laughs> um, but I'm much much more of the um the girl Nick as opposed to the uh, um uh rich girl yeah, up on the so hill. Yeah, that, so that, that's a that's a vote for Betty then. At the end of the day, like it's a it's a yeah, qualified that's, that's vote. Definitely, yeah, Betty, 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 definitely Betty of the two. I used to read Archie comics when I was a kid. Yeah, who so. didn't? Yeah, that is that sounds awesome. Um, that sounds absolutely awesome, Jeff. Like I, I always go for Betty myself. So even though it's a qualified vote, yeah. we will accept it. Uh, she's 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 in the lead, by the way. Now, um, Sigla Doom at its heart. Does, or we have a lot of geeky interests, but we're a comic book podcast at heart, so we would be remiss mm-hmm. if we didn't ask about your work on the Marvel role-playing game, which I know that um, you mentioned before, um, but we're having so much fun talking about Dungeons & Dragons. Now, I, I, I think there's still people playing this. Mm-hmm. It came out mm-hmm. in about 84. What was the work like? Oh, were, God, yes. Were you pretty mm-hmm. conversant in comic books, or the... did you lobby for it? Yes. Mm. I... Uh, I, I, I read comics when I was a kid, uh, Legion of Superheroes, you know, Superman, sure. uh, Spider-Man, that sort of thing. And I got away from it and got back into it in college. Yep. Uh, my next door neighbor in the dorm was a comic book reader. Sure. So, you know, and this was at the time, like the Star Wars comic came out. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. And what I would do is I would get buy copies of star star wars comic and then mail them to my girlfriend who became my fiance who became my wife sure and so so you know basically said the star wars books to her that's cool and this was and so one time at one time we took a break from my campaign Mm-hmm. Which was which was named Turil, a name that we gave to the planet of the realm. Wow, that's and cool. <laughs> yeah, it, like I said, we we, we it, uh, Ed had a name for the continent Freyrun. Yes. I basically said, do we have a name for the world? And that's where Toril came from. And originally it was Torakandra, which was influenced by C.S. Lewis, everything you know fits together around sure. here. Anyway, we're taking a break, and so I set up a superhero campaign in West Lafayette, Indiana, uh-huh. which was where Purdue University was based, and I was you know studying as a civil engineer. And so we started playing superheroes that were the junior achievement branch, uh-huh. the kid branch. Of the Avengers, okay. So yep. they, you know, uh, and they had characters like Big Man on campus and Superpin, the Pro Bowler of Steel, who <laughs> rode around on a giant silver bowling ball, and you know, and then they fought Marvel bad guys, and eventually they went to New York and they met Spider Man and fought Mayor Koch, cool. and you know, just you know, it, it was it was very very lighthearted and very 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 cool. Yeah. Um, and when I got to TSR. They were talking. Well, what, what about Blue Sky projects? They talked about what would you do if you could. Yeah. And I actually gave a proposal for a cyberpunk adventure that was so dark it sort of burned a hole in the bottom of the uh, filing cabinet. <laughs> and it, it, they came back and said, "Well, what else you got?" And I what said, else? "Well, I've got a superhero campaign." And the superhero campaign just, you know, basically became uh, Marvel, yeah. the Universal Table. We you know we had many drafts of that. I know you had Zeb Cook on on uh, the show. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I would come right. up with something on you know on Monday, and he would basically trash it by you know Thursday, and by Friday I had come up with something else. <laughs> and so that became our universal table for it, as far as you know, creating it. Now I was a big comic book fan at that time, and which meant in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, every 
week, uh, my wife and I would drive up to um, Milwaukee, yeah. which was the closest direct sale comic book shop at that time. Mm-hmm. We would get uh, the latest comics from the uh, uh, the Turning Page. I don't know if that's still in business. And wow. then we would go to a local uh, Mexican restaurant, uh, table for two, good light source, sure. and we would you know have Mexican food and read comic books. That's cool. uh, and once we started on. The license with Marvel, we pitched it to them, and they they were cool. They started sending us all these comics, awesome. so I had a library of comics, and they sent us two copies of everything. So I had a copy, and basically put another copy into circulation in big folders to everybody else in the uh, company. So they was they, they, they wanted to read comic books, yeah. they could all all be a part of this. That's great. Um, it was a great time for Marvel, wasn't it? Like um, early eighties. Yeah, it was good. It was uh, it was um. Oh my gosh, what's his name? Um, uh, Jim Shooter and, and and Tom DeFalco. Jim Shooter. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he would have been the editor in chief. Uh, Jim Shooter. Yeah. Jim Shooter was the editor in chief, mm. and that was the time of uh, just at the time when you saw the big expansion into direct sales, yeah. uh, the direct sale market, mm-hmm. where you saw the big epics like uh, Secret Wars, yeah, like Dark Knight right. uh, from uh, yeah. from DC. Yeah, Watchmen, um, all that kind of stuff. For, like, Watchmen. Yeah, yeah. yeah Watchmen yeah, yeah. Was, was, was... So this was that era when we saw a lot of real expansion mm-hmm. happening in, you know, uh, uh, what people were paying attention to in comics. And of course, a lot of the comics I wrote, read were of that. My favorite comics when I was working on it was Marvel 2-in-1 yep. and Marvel Team-Up. And Marvel Team-Up yeah. was Spider-Man and someone you've never heard of. Yes. And Marvel 2-in-1 was The Thing yeah. and someone you've never heard of. So they basically had a lot of these really esoteric yeah. oh my god they had a series back sometime in the 70s uh jack of hearts yeah. uh <laughs> serpent squadron uh you know yeah quasar all of these characters yeah. Yeah. um that, that basically were brought back and they had great stories claremont wrote a lot of them as well and it, this was you know this was really filling out the universe which was yeah. really a cool thing. Oh, it was a great time. And Spider-Man was in great hands at that period. I think it was Tom DeFalco mm-hmm. writing it, who we've had on the show. Really brilliant. Yep. Now, my question is this. Um, how did you codify all the characters? Because it sounds exhausting, especially when you get past the street-level guys. Like, how can you – I get how you could do a Spider-Man, a Daredevil, a Punisher easily. But what mm-hmm. about a guy like a Silver Surfer or, or even Quasar? Like, they're so overpowered. Like, how do you fit that into a role-playing game? The universal table had the uh, had the uh, didn't have exact numbers, right? Which I think was our uh, saving grace, right? But rather had broad categories: okay. amazing strength, monstrous agility, you know, right. uh, incredible fighting ability. All of those were, um, I know uh, what you mean. A lot of put it into a a packet, and the uh, whole question of you know who would win, uh, the Hulk, Hulk yeah. or Thor. It all depended on who they who was who was whose book were they in, you know, course, it's that yeah. sort of thing. Of course, so there's yeah. a lot of wiggle room. Sure. Uh, there was one when we one story when we were working on that Spider-Man beat up Fire Lord, who was a herald of Galactus, and we're going okay. We, I don't know how we're going to do this one, yeah, but that's a, tough a one. lot of karma was spent to make sure he made all of his numbers, you know, that, that <laughs> yeah. all of his hits. That's um, fun. So that's this, bad this was, Spider-Man really punching above his weight, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. You you can have that happening because you're the heroes of the story. Now and I had a question. A good so way did, of being did, able to did people hmm? play like if I was playing it, would I be playing as Wolverine or Spider Man, or am I creating my own character? Which one is it? Is it actually with the yellow box? Mm-hmm. We had to argue with Marvel to get character creation into it. Okay, so originally it was because you were the main course, characters, and then okay. it got, we down. when we when we did get some character so a very basic character creation uh, system mm-hmm. in it, and because you know hey it's a Marvel Marvel license we want you to play Spider Man yeah yeah you know, we yeah, want yeah, you yeah. to play Captain Marvel you know yeah. so and by the time we got to um, the blue box to the advanced Marvel uh, one one the single note that we got from Marvel was and whatever you do you better put in a character creation system because right. people want to play their character and fight alongside spider-man as opposed to or fight against spider-man as opposed to uh and i I think that shows a a growth of how people were reacting to the game and interacting with the game and i think that was and that really worked well and then a book i didn't work on the uh um ultimate powers book Uh uh came about from the idea that the designer was actually in the, it was married to one of my editors, uh, Karen Boomgarden. Now Karen Conyers, mm-hmm. um, she, uh, um, and so I had all the comics in my thing and he came in and basically was going through all the comic books and writing down every power wow. he and Keith, he found. <laughs> so he was building his own power. And one of the managers came through and, and found out what was going on. I said, that's a great idea. Let's yeah. do that. Yeah. That became the ultimate powers book. So this was, there was a lot of that going on. So, yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. Uh, I, I saw in, um, I looked at the Wikipedia and there was a note about, mm-hmm. um, it's about karma. So it says in a notable departure mm-hmm. for many RPGs, uh, but strongly in keeping with the genre, all karma is lost if a hero kills someone or allows someone to die. Yes. And I, I'm like, yeah, I understand yes. that. But what about if they're playing Punisher or Wolverine? Like that's their normal thing. Exactly. <laughs> and this was a time when Punisher and Wolverine were coming online. Where the idea of where there's a sequence Claremont wrote, where you know basically. Uh, Claire, uh, Wolverine kills someone off screen, sure. and everybody else reacts with, Ugh, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And for Wolverine, it was very much like, I don't care. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, okay, I'm going to lose, lose my karma. That's fine. Yeah. I'm going to lose it tomorrow, too. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And P- Punisher was going through that phase. The superheroes, it's, you know, characters that get hot and yeah. they're in everything. Yes. And Punisher's time, who was created initially as, you know, a, a satire on the whole, was it Matt? Bolin, yeah, the executioner, uh, or story, yeah, yeah, yeah. the executioner, the whole. They, there was a series of um, paperbacks, yes, that mass market paperbacks of this type. That this was the theme, and he was originally created as a Spider-Man villain mm. and evolved into his uh, then current state of you know basically the one-man war on He's crime, blowing and, people you know, away. You see, you see, <laughs> and you've seen him being treated as he's crazy. Or sure. he is a criminal, or he is a, is a force of justice, uh, depending on who's writing him Very and what true. era we're in. Very true. So, man. but the idea is, yes, you can, and they are the whoever was running the Punisher doesn't isn't worrying about karma. Karma is not a thing for him. He's, okay. he's basically his his worry is making sure he has the equipment. His worry is the body count. Just getting it up there, you know, mm. the, the, sh- the sheer numbers, mm-hmm. the volume. Well, I think, I mean, I was a little 
too young for it and I'm kind of glad I didn't get into it because I think it would have affected my schooling because I think it would have obsessed me this Marvel role-playing game and um you know because mm-hmm. I, I love those comics from that era they're, they're great now um just shifting back to D&D um I've got a question for you did you, firstly did you enjoy the recent movie I had a fun time with it but I thought what someone like you like what did you think of the movie the honor among thieves I really I really liked the movie mm. I thought the movie was um I I got to th- at Gary Con, they basically had okay. an early release, and we all showed up for it. It was like releasing that weekend. Cool. All you know went to the uh, the local theater in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and to watch it. And I I actually liked it. I thought it was really really good. I mean, it, it wasn't you know fantastic, no. but it was you know, it was a good solid one and much better than the ones that we had done before. Oh, much um, much much, I think much it, you better. Know, I mean, take, I, takes I, a yeah. hit, and it had that sense of humor. And I and I think that's something that's inherent in D and D is you know we we have the epic moments and we have the the goofy moments and that fits for both of those worlds. Yeah, look, I I I, re- I mean I really had a good time with it and I thought it was very much of a romp. Mm-hmm. But my question is, and I think I may have asked Ed this as well, mm-hmm. like they always seem when they do adaptations now with D and D to really go jokey, like really jokey. And I sometimes wonder if they should. I prefer a little bit of darkness and a bit of evil in my D and D. And and I notice in your books mm-hmm. you've got some darkness and evil, but. Why do you think when they pitch yes. it to the masses, they go they go really light? You know, why do you think that is? I I, I don't have a definite answer, but I, I think that basically they want to key in on the fun. Yeah, you know, yeah. the enjoyable parts of it. And though, if you look at you know, like the a lot of movies, the fantasy movies that have uh, influenced us, uh-huh. uh, Dragon Slayer, um, Princess Bride, that kind of thing. Yeah. Princess Princess Bride. I didn't see Princess Bride until much later. Later, mm. uh, but Princess Bride has a nice humorous t- sure. touch to it. Sure. Uh, yeah. Shrek of the later ones has yeah. a definite, you know, is definitely there for the fun, yeah. but carries a lot of a lot of the, a lot of the darkness for. Yeah. Um. I think they're. I think they're better. I. And the, again, D and D groups tend to be fun. You know, sure. and but yeah. there is that yeah. overwhelming, you know, darkness that mm. basically is, you know, a challenge. And I think the Red Wizards really carry that off. Yeah. As far as in the movie, uh, as yeah. far as you know, the bad guys and being a threat to you know the threat threat to the world. To I, the I hope there's more because I I really enjoyed it to be honest, man. I when I finished, I also mm. loved that they did a little yeah. nod to the cartoon people. They were in it briefly. That group. Did you notice? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I thought, oh, yes. Presto and everybody. <laughs> that was I, I cool. thought that was a, a yeah. nice, a nice little callback for, for, for that, that game. Well, and they didn't I, I, die. I used, they didn't die as well. So yeah, it was I, good. I used clone, you know, versions of them mm-hmm. in a comic book that we are using to promote the realms. Right. Where uh, Presto basically tries to sign on to be Elminster's uh, assistant. <laughs> Uh, and you know, basically takes a grand tour of the realms, which was all the product that we're coming out with in the next year. Oh, that's and cool. that was fun. But I really, but I really like what they did as far as uh, just just an Easter egg, you know. Yeah. And basically, yeah. oh, I I know those guys. You I, know? I wonder <laughs> if I I know it made it kind of broke even, but not much more. But I wonder if they're going to do another one. I hope they do. You know, because it just feels I... like. Yeah, what do you think? I, I 
I honestly don't know. Yeah. Uh, the lead actor, you know, they say, yeah, we can do another one. Chris Pine. But yeah. um, uh, in the latest hub at the time we're recording this, mm. uh, Hubbub from Hasbro, mm. where they are they are actually uh, selling that unit. Are they really? Um, what, the D&D unit? Yeah. Oh. The, not the D&D unit, but the, 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 uh, um, compu- the movie unit. Okay. I did not know um, that. Right. What was it okay. called? E something, you know, it was basically wow. they had their own sort of like uh, like Marvel Productions. They had their own, you know, yeah. uh, movie group. Wow. So, I, I wonder if, I, where, mean, you know, I, I mean, I don't know the answer to this question, but I wonder if mm-hmm. like G.I. Joe and Transformers are under that as well. Maybe not. Yes. Yeah. Uh, either they're they may be under that, or they may be uh, licensed out to different. You know, because the Transformers uh, one uh, is. Uh, I mean, they make a lot of money. Those Transformers movies, a lot. You know, and it, they they've done a lot, and also they've you know backed up with the Bumblebee and created new origin stories. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed that. I don't know where. I, I I don't I don't follow them enough to be able to tell you. You know what sure. where they are. Yeah. So. Well, I will say this: we, girlfriend and I watched the recent one. The Beast Wars one, and it was fun. The transform, it was like a you know, yep. if you're after a fun movie, it was fun. Like throw it on for the kids. Yeah, but also I thought the D and D one was the same. I thought the D and D one was a really good advertisement for the product, and I was sort of surprised it didn't yeah. make more money. You know, because I thought it was a very it was a good movie. You know. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good movie as well. I, yeah. I have I have no idea what the you know. Mm ultimate take was you know and often it's a case of appearances Mm. you know like it did well but we expected it to do more exactly it did well but it had a big fall off on its second week you know there was a lot of um product in stores um what do you call it like sort of like figures and stuff and um right and they had tie-in novels and i've actually asked one of the tie-in novels uh, authors to come on the show actually and uh, hopefully she will um, because I, I mean, I actually, I, I will say this. I think that I think they backed it. You know, they, 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 they. You know what I mean? You know how sometimes movies come out and they don't really support them. I felt that one was marketed well, and they, they weren't re- really released as opposed to the cage door was left o- open yes. in the hopes they escape. Exactly. So yeah, now, we'll, yeah. we'll see. Uh, now, yeah, the yeah. Uh, the the very first D and D movie terrible had you know oh my goodness it well again. The entire department was, the uh, entire company was going to a local theater to watch it. Right. And afterwards, you know, it, it was such a shock that they ended up tearing down that theater. Uh, <laughs> not immediately, but the, the theater is gone. It's a Bahama Breeze restaurant. Yeah. Now. And, it, but uh, it's always, uh, it was sort of that, sort of like, oh my God, they did that. <laughs> so I think what they've done most recently is a lot more faithful to D and D. Totally agree. The spirit of D and I think it will and, hold yeah, up yeah. on streaming for a long time, mm-hmm. and you never know what might happen in Hollywood. Do you know what I mean? Like at least it's a good advertisement for the product when people eventually see it. You're not mm-hmm. embarrassed by it. You're like, no, it's a decent movie. It's and fun. I, you know. And I, and I think you're right about streaming. I think you're, you know, a lot of movies basically come out, and they, eh, okay, they're fine. Mm-hmm. And then they basically find their life yeah. on uh, the sci-fi channel or Definitely. streaming on Netflix Definitely. or, you know, basically all, all of that as far as basically get it's, uh, it, it becomes a, becomes a comfort food. Totally. Wizard of Oz every year. You totally, know, that sort of thing. totally. God, just talking about it, I want to watch it again. Now, Now, I want to talk mm. to you. I want to talk to you about Curse of the Azure Bonds because let me tell you, as, okay. as, as a teenager, we 
well, like firstly, I, the novel's great. I reread it prior to this, um, mm-hmm. you know, interview, and it holds up, man. And and like, I do want to congratulate you and your wife too, who's your co-writer, yeah, in the mm-hmm. in the novels, yeah. Was she? Yes. Well, Kate Novak is yeah. my co-writer. Mm-hmm. I am so impressed. I mentioned to my girlfriend last night. I said, "You know, his wife's his co-writer," and she's like, "Wow!" Like, because <laughs> my girlfriend is like, "I don't want to know about any of this." You know what I mean? Like, this, this is a, well. The, the story is that you know, uh, I had had the plot. I knew what I was doing, mm. and on one of these long trips to Milwaukee, um, I started telling. My wife, right. the plot sure. that I was going to be uh, for this, and by the time I we got to Milwaukee, I had a co-writer, yeah, and one of the characters had changed gender. Cool. Uh, Olive Varskettle was originally Oliver, okay. and yep. so it became Olive, and very, very much that's my wife's favorite character, and you know embodies a lot of her Great in there character. as far as a character. So she, your wife is basically we, we like working a, a on half bard and a thief. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but yeah. But when we worked on it, you know, we would actually go to uh, new restaurants yeah. while we were, you know, plotting things out. Because if we got into a big argument about it, oh, we'd just never go back to that restaurant again. So, yeah. <laughs> And what's it like? Because I mean, and the wait staff would cruise past us and wonder what the heck we're talking about. Like these these guys are in trouble. Now, I mean, was firstly, I assume your wife is a gamer from way back, and um, was she at TSR as oh, yeah. well, or or were you like a college sweethearts, or is it later on? What's the story? I knew her in high school. Wow, all the way back, uh, junior high, really. Wow, um, congratulations! She, she, I mean, I'm very. She found out, found out my my father was Mr. Grubb, and she did not have him as a teacher. Right, but you know, she was in the same school as Mr. Grubb, uh, and we, um, she had in high school her own starship. She was a Star Trek fan. Oh, sweet! And cool. So yeah. they had the SS Quetzalcoatl. Uh-huh. And that was uh, her and her friends, and they wrote fan fiction, and uh-huh. you know, so and so literally, we had a gang. And when I learned how to play D and D, yeah, and this was seventy five, seventy, right, yeah, seventy five, way back, man, and yeah. came back, you know, and started a summer campaign. We had a group that was already together that basically started playing together, mm. and so that was the foundation. For for you know uh, my adventures mm. and i you know was running at the at, the, at uh, uh purdue and i was running back at the uh, uh back in pittsburgh and you know this was this is where a lot of stories came from and so we uh we grew up uh, as far as together and we we dated yeah and wow. um got married a couple yeah. years after i got out of uh uh purdue we we got married Wow, and, and, and you know we've been together ever since. Well, yeah. congratulations! That that's fantastic. I I didn't know that actually. And um, uh, what was I going to say? So she was into Star Trek. So that would have been the original Star yep. Trek, like Shatner and stuff. Yeah, the original the original Star Trek, the originals, the old the old the scientists, best, the best uh, the best Star Trek in my opinion. And she <laughs> would she would basically get a, a, a tape recorder, yeah, and record, hold a microphone. Up to the television wow. uh, speaker and record the uh, the sound 
off the original because we didn't have VCRs in those days. Yeah, so, right. This is the 70s. So, yeah. 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 So I, and I, oh, down the basement, we have the James Blish adaptations, which were, you know, which were there at, at the time. And so, yeah, she, she comes out of that. She That's comes cool. out of a fandom. Did she and ever she do any worked... work with Star Trek, like novels and stuff? Like in the no, no, oh, she no, she didn't. She did do freelance work. Yeah. For TSR, she did a Marvel project with me. Okay. Um, and she did uh, um, of course the novels. Yeah. Uh, which were you know, you know, which were great. We've done six novels together over the years. That's great. And right now, right yeah. now, right now, she's a tax preparer. She's an enrolled right. agent, which is sort of a super tax preparer. Gotcha. As far right. as yeah, uh, and she's very, very engaged with them. So her, she once said, she's not afraid of taxes because she plays D and D. No, I get and it. Like taxes all the math. are much yeah. more, much clearer than D and D rules. Jeez, especially back in the day, some of the D and D, we some of the debates that used mm-hmm. to break out when we were playing. It was like, can we get a lawyer in here? Like, can we yep. can we get someone with like a background in the law? Um, now, I do want to say, well, first, congratulations on that and on doing six novels together because that's cool. Um, Alias, um, I've always loved the concept. I've written three books myself. I, I like the concept of amnesia as a story, you know, mm-hmm. hook, and I've wanted to use it for a while myself. Now, when I reread this book. Um, my first question is, Alias, did this come from the Bob Dylan name in the movie, the Western movie, where he plays a character called Alias? That was one of my questions. No? No. No, I just no. wondered because it, it, he, but, yeah, but, Western. But much much more from the idea of a lot of my names are uh, applicable Yes. in the fact of you know who Alias is basically is, you know, basically reflects back on the name. Yes. Uh, in Dragonlance, I have Lord Toad. Yes. You know, who basically wow. name is description, yeah. dragon bait. These characters all, you know, uh, I always joke that uh, I, I name my names tend to be very direct, and gotcha. uh, Ed tends to just put his nose down on the keyboard and roll his head back and <laughs> forth, and they, okay, that's an elf. But your you name know? sort of just... sum the character up in a way. Like yes. Lord Toad it, was the hobgoblin guy, wasn't he? Um, evil, right. evil. Yes, he was. Yeah, I remember him. He was awesome. That guy. He was. He was he, a coward, he was the, wasn't he? Yeah. He was the first low-level villain that yeah. you encountered in Dragonlance in the in the saga itself. Yes, I remember. And so he he was he was my and he was sort of a humorous character. So he ended up with a funny book. I love you know? it. Yeah, just just I when they they oh, well the gods digress right here when they did yeah. um. They were doing a villain series, and they called me up and said, would you like to do a novel on Lord Toad? And I said, okay, well, let me do the research and see where the character is now, and now I'll get back to you. I did the research, and I got back to them, and I I said, you know he's dead. I was going to say, did he survive? I don't even know if he survived. (laughs) Yeah, well, he's dead. And they they, they said, what do you mean he's dead? Well, you killed him in a short story over here two years ago. Forget it. Okay, can you work with it? (laughs) And that's how the story of Lord Toad. Toad got started, you know. Basically, I, I turned it, it, made it a Warner Brothers cartoon where we kept bringing him back and then killing him off again. And by so, the way, mm-hmm. someone on Reddit, I put questions up on Reddit. Someone mentioned that was their favorite book, mm-hmm. um, that they've the Forgotten Realms that they've read, or from Dragonlance, the D and D books. Like it was someone specifically said their Lord, their your Lord to- Toad story was awesome. Now. I have a question. Again, from... we talk about fun. That was the fun book. Fun so. book. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. why not? Now, I have a question. The person who asked it on Reddit is just, it's like L4LLG470R. Now, they say, I would love to hear about Alias, her clones such as Cat, and especially the unnamed Lady of Power in Waterdeep, as I'm planning a Waterdeep campaign 
in uh, to to follow Dragon Heist. You know, he's been meaning this person's been meaning to uh, pester yes. you about on a blog. What, so I know who Cat was. Wow. Um, she was yeah. the uh, actually no, no, I'm not sure who Cat was. She was one of the clones of Alias, yeah, that they made, yeah, or whatever you call right. it, copies. They, they were they, they were the thing of this version 2.0. At the very end of Azure Bonds, mm. we find a whole bunch of Alias clones that are you know are basically were being prepped. That's cool. And they gain their own sense of volition. And we created the alii, that's the phrase, phrase I use, uh, with cool. the potential that if we ever decided to go back, we'd have more characters to play with. So you? we had Jade, we had Cat yeah. in the Wyvern Spur. Yeah. And, but, and now the realms has taken a jump of, what, 100, 150 years, whatever, ahead. Oh. They'll manage to bring most of the characters with them by various excuses. Well, that's good. And... Uh, and what I think is that, you know, Alias in the modern realms is this exciting, mildly terrifying great aunt yeah. for the Wyvern Spurs, who blows into town with, you know, a, a dragon chasing her or uh, an artifact she's getting rid of and basically engages everybody in what they're doing. So she, I, I think that's that's sort of where she would be now. Uh, Alias, the, the book itself, the books themselves, mm. are very much about the responsibility of creativity. Right, yeah. Because if you make something, yeah, like, you have it. Because yeah. Finder made her for very self reasons he wanted his songs to stay in such a way that you know were is exactly the way he intended to them he doesn't yes. want to see evolve doesn't want to see him change so he wanted to see it and that's how he got involved in the conspiracy that would yes. uh, eventually uh engulf <laughs> in, in, in her he involved like a in addition, and stuff <laughs> in, in addition I'll, I'll tell you tell you a secret here yeah. um Right after I got out of college and before I joined TSR, I had a seizure. Oh. And it was a case where I was in a garage in mm. Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania, at one of these world's biggest garage sale things, yeah. and blacked out and woke up in a hospital. And Shit. I had no idea what happened during that period. I filled in the bits over, over time, mm. but it did not, uh, which involved me attacking a paramedic, apparently. Really? Uh, the, uh, mm. uh, and, and so that's a piece, a serious piece, that mm. basically brought into Alias and how she treats her own amnesia. Yes. And basically how she treats herself within, like, we've lost something. Something's wrong. Something is, you know, my universe is not complete. And that becomes a foundation for yeah. her. Right, yes. Yeah, so you really as, drew on a bit of personal life, as all writers do, but that's quite uh, direct, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that's intense. Mm -hmm. Was it like an epileptic fit or something? Like, that yep. kind of thing? It was a, it was, it was a, oh gosh. It was a. It wasn't epilepsy because right. it, and it's never been repeated. Right, um, just a one-off. But it was a. It was a one-shot sort of Shit. thing that. Uh, uh, yeah, it happens. Man, was right. you know a, a challenge? Challenge to I had to work through. Yeah, and yeah, as a yeah. result, Alias works through as well. Well, and she I, has the ability to I go out it. and beat up things with a sword. So I also love mm -hmm. that she had the same, albeit uh, younger face as the evil sorceress. Like you know she, that, that yes. sorceress who's like a bit older than her, but it's like. Uh, physically a copy, not not internally, but physically. Now, 
the 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 thing it's that, the idea of contributing that faith and again it's that idea of responsibility for creation yeah because there's a vanity there that basically carries over into alias well pretty much the creators of a like were super bad all of them uh, i know that the heart the yeah what do you call it? the nameless bard wasn't as bad but he was still pretty naughty like wasn't he like because he was no so he yeah. finder was you know uh again uh, he's got that problem of being you know he was getting locked up for doing yes. this sort of thing yeah uh so so yeah he, he he was a bad guy and again the further stories are very much a redemption arc for him Okay, I'm going to research those. I've got them on my iPad, but I just haven't read them because, like, we only have so much time in our lives. But I'm going to make an effort because I really enjoyed the reread, man. Now, I, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. Um, we, me and my friends back, we got heavily into the Curse of Azul Bonds computer game. Now, yes, dude, it was so fucking great, basically. Now, um, how involved were you in this? Were you a writer? Were you, well, like, what was the story? Because I couldn't quite work out from Wikipedia and stuff. Were you, were you involved with this game? Yes, I was. As okay. far as, as the overarching plot, yes. as far as the whole idea of we did not have you run Alias, but we had you run in a similar situation. Yeah. You wake up, you have the, have the blue tattoos, there's a group of, a descendant group effectively, the Zentrum were involved, you know, basically, and so you have the same overarching plot for that. But the most of the, the lion's share of the work, of the programming, of the of creating the game itself was uh, George McDonald right. over at SSI. And so my contribution was very much from a uh, uh, creative uh narrative sense as opposed to and in fact I, I didn't even do all the uh you know player facing text so that came all out of ssi right so basically it was a coordination for them of uh, i worked with them the plot yes and they you know created beautiful stuff out there and so basically yeah people often say curse of the azure bonds when they think thinking of azure bonds the novel so we have but we have a a book that became a game that yes. became a tabletop game product so it was an interesting descent yeah, well, I mean, I also think, like, um, at least for us, where we were, the game, I mean, that it was also helping the book sales, I'm sure, because um, people were like, I, my, my mates were like, man, this is awesome. And I'm like, there's a book as well. And if from memory, Alias and Dragon Bay do show up a little bit. There's a cameo at some yes, point. Yes, they do. I, yeah, I remember. I mean, yes, I'm going, on, they, I'm they, going they, on memories yeah. from like 1990 here, but I do recall. Now, what I want to mention, though, did you have any hand in the Beholder Core battle? Because that was a bitch of a battle. Do, do you remember this, where you walk into I, a room? As far as, as far as the gameplay is concerned, no, that's SSI. Okay. okay as far as the fact that the that uh, was it Xanathar that was involved in that? It might have been. Maybe not. He had a whole uh, bunch. It, it was like 40 yeah. Beholders. And I was like, yeah. I think of that now. And I'm like, how the hell mm -hmm. did our characters... It, it took us so many tries to beat them. Mm -hmm. They were so hard. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> like, it was like... Because isn't one Beholder pretty bad? I always thought, like, 40 of them. A like, single Beholder is, you know, is hell on wheels, even back in those days. It was crazy. Uh, and just because it had so many Spence. abilities, you know... Yeah. And they would fire off randomly, you know, one d four. Which ones? Okay, roll a d ten. Okay, you know, it's going to be the disintegrate eye, and you know. The, yeah, no, the, it was it was nuts, but that was answer. that was brilliant. That that whole Curse of Azul Bonds mm -hmm. thing, and and reading the novel again, um, I'm like, well, I want to. I know there's two more in the in the whatever you call them trilogy. I, I'm going to read them because I mm -hmm. thought that they were excellent. Now, 
Um, I've got a question here from, I'm just getting the name, uh, Manta okay. Geisman. Can Jeff give any insight into the mechanics for the card game in the Wyvern Spur? Young me was incredibly interested. Oh, gosh, Talus, yes. Um, the mechanics, we didn't have the mechanics. We just knew about the cards. Okay? Right. We basically were creating a tarot-style deck okay. for... Um, uh, the realms, effectively. And we just alluded to a few cards. We didn't go into a, a fuller a explanation sure. or a... Uh, uh, I don't think we had a rule set anywhere there. But later on, when over in Ravenloft, mm. they did the Taroka deck, and they basically pulled a lot of the, you know, a lot of the inspiration back from what we did over in the Talus deck, and they basically made that an integral part of Ravenloft. Howard cool. Johnson was behind that. One. That's cool. So yeah. So yeah, you. you so yeah. oh yeah, we we had we had we had the Talus cards. We did. I don't think we went into any great detail. Sure. As opposed to saying, ah, yes, we have the we have a full deck back here. No. Um, Nowadays they would put that out gosh. as a, as a card deck to to sell. You know yes. what I mean? Like, it, God, Wizards definitely would, I would think. You know? Oh, yeah. It would be part of part of a set, etc. There was... Now, well, let me think about this. Cerebus the Aardvark, <laughs> which was a Canadian comic book, yeah, fantasy. I've heard of it, yeah. Uh, had, a de had a deck, uh, that he, a very thin deck of cards that he used for a card game in there. I'm trying to think of it, if it preceded us or if it was after us. And I think it preceded us. Right. But I have a copy of that deck in, because uh, they went all the way through and built, built the deck for it. Mm. I have it somewhere in a file somewhere. That's cool. So. It's crazy, the yeah. level of detail. Now, um, I've got – I read this on your Wikipedia um, that you work with mm -hmm. Gary Gygax on Monster Manual 2, like early on in your career with yeah. TSR. Um, that's so cool because yeah. I'll be brutally honest. I spent a lot of time reading the Monster Manuals. What was it like working with Gary? Um, and also, did the monsters – like some of them are so random. Like I know some come from folklore and are famous monsters, like a minotaur or something, but – Mm -hmm. Like, what was the who, you know, what was it like working with Gary Gygax and creating monsters for D and D? Was it, you know, in, was it fun? I worked on Monster Manual two, mm. and then on Unearthed Arcana, sure, with with Gary. And Gary was very much involved in a lot of other stuff at that time. So, right. yeah. uh, what my primary job was basically taking the manuscript that uh -huh. uh, he provided and yeah. then filling in cracks and basically making sure everything uh met the current format sure. it was uh, there were a lot of the a lot of the monsters were of an age that they had a complete they had an older set of you know abilities and bringing it over into you know first edition from D and D. In some cases, uh, I did add some monsters, um, some of the uh, uh, the Arca Ar Arcana da daemon, uh -huh. some of the daemons. Uh, Charon, and particularly the Modrons. Right. And in the manuscript, I had a full write-up of the uh, Monodrone and a mostly full write-up of the Duodrone. And and then about three lines on on the on the th on the third level, the Tridrone. And as we went along, there was less and less. Yeah. And so I took that as the basis and built out all the rest of it and created Primus at the end as the god level Modron. Wow. And people, you know, have they, they, that's had a love hate relationship right. with when they did fourth edition, they banished the Modron. In 50, 50, fifth edition, they brought the Modron back and put it on the <laughs> on the you know table of contents. That's so funny. that's cool. You yeah, know, man. well, I, and I'm, that's, I'm looking again, at it part now. Of I see demi leashes evolved. here, demi leashes. 
Cat Lords. Like, there's a Demolich. lot of stuff. Like, so you're sitting Demi- down. Demolich. Yeah. Hang on. Demolich comes from um, S1. Right. Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, Asarak is a Demolich. Uh, Cat Lord sort of just appeared out of nowhere, and I'm not sure if it has a predis- predis- uh, predecessor yeah. um, outside of the fiction where you're dealing with, you know, various powerful cat uh, gods. Mm. Um, but a lot of it came from a lot of different, you know, uh, inspirations, mm. uh, a lot of different sources, and it just, you know, sort of correlated. So I added to it as well, mm. but, you know, I, like the design consultant. So. Yeah, was he in, in, I mean, he's obviously passed away, and, and look, I know there's a lot of ups and downs and God knows what, I wouldn't have a clue, but... Mm-hmm. Was he a brilliant guy? Like, do you think? Like, at the end of the day, like, yes, yeah. At the end of the day, he was brilliant. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he was, you know, and often what and and what happened is, I would, you know, basically write these horribly tedious questions about how something works, particularly sure. for Anarch Arcana, and he would send back a note that says, "It's magic." Yeah. So, you know, I was working through Frank Menser, which was, was Gary's uh, primary design, go-to guy. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we would send paper, uh, yellow sheets of paper back and forth with questions. Mm. And he would, you know, get to that, you know, because uh, he's running a company, among other exactly, things. Exactly, yeah. And basically yeah. paying enough attention to, you know, basically say, okay, what does the crazy guy want this time? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it was so interesting. Yes. Like, it's almost mm-hmm. like, because I was talking with – um. It must have been with Seb Cook. And it was kind of like he was so busy and had so much on his plate Mm -hmm. and then also trying to be creative at the same time as well. It it must have – it would be enough to drive most people crazy. Like if you're running a company, you're worried about cash flow. That's one thing. But then you're trying to like work Mm -hmm. on the rules for Unearthed Arcana or Monster Manual 2, whatever. It's almost like a completely different Mm -hmm. skill set to me, you know? And this is one reason he, he brought you know, he, he was working with Frank Menser because yes. a lot of the uh, box sets, uh, um, uh, uh, companions was you know like Frank and uh, Doug Niles, right. uh, Immortals, um, all, all the, yeah. the God level stuff. All wow. that was you know, material that had been you know descended to you know Frank to say here you take care of this. Interesting um, guy. A lot of the team ups that he did yeah. were. There's, there, there's a, you know, yeah, if there's a movie, very much so. if there's a movie about Stan Lee, one day there should be something about him, and I think you could almost do it, um, almost with a bit of a fantasy tinge. I, I know it's all very political, and you must know where a lot of the bodies are buried. Mm-hmm. We don't need to get into it, but it's 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 interesting to me. You know, it's an interesting thing. Now, on a lighter note, um, there got, have been yeah. well, there there now. I, I'm gonna gonna say there have been in the past ten years a lot of mm. uh, books sure. that have come out yeah. about this era yeah, of uh, TSR's history and <laughs> Gary and everything. Uh, John Peterson did yes. a great uh, book on the history. It's being re-released yeah. of role-playing games, games in general, fan, uh, hobby games in general. Is it called like Game uh, Wizards or called, something? Uh, the game, game Wizards. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. Is it called Game Wizards or something? The game like? Wizards was his most recent. Right. His most recent one, I think, was Game Wizards, cool. and was talking about um, uh, his uh, the, the relationships and what was going on in the politics of the do, world. Do you find all earlier that stuff, about the fandom? Do you mm-hmm. find all that mm-hmm. stuff a little depressing? I do. I, I when you know, it's it, I, um, I, everyone's always hating each other and stuff and suing each other. It's like the Beatles breaking up to me. It's a bit like, oh my lord, you know. It it, it 
is a challenge as far as that's concerned. But it's also, you know, I read a lot of these histories and in some cases was, well, we were up on a different floor and we didn't yeah. get, we did not have front row seats to these fights. 100%. So sometimes yeah. they're revelationary to us. Sometimes it's, yeah, that's kind of true, but sure. you know, it's, it's not a hundred percent. And yeah. that's, you know, uh, Peterson in his books did a lot of stuff with primary source material, right. not with, you know, what guys said about it 10 years later yeah. on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's, that's a definite advantage to his works. Yeah. Um, well, it's but, interesting. You know, there's a lot of if good pe- material. If mm-hmm. people want to check it out more, um, they should. You know what I mean? I, I guess I'm I'm more of a – I like the actual product. You know what I mean? And I do find it interesting, but yeah. I'm also a bit like – I just hate at the end when everyone's suing each other. I just find that really sad. You know, I'm just like, uh, I know it's business. I know things break down. You know, it is what it is. But it sort of sucks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now, on a lighter we note want all, – We want all of them to be happy and successful. We, we'd so. like that. I know it's a fantasy, but we're like – we like the fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone retires with like fifty million in the bank, and they're happy. Now, um, oh, yeah, that would be great. Now, where is on a lighter note? This is from Elizabeth. Where is the best place in the realms to get a Dr Pepper? She's asking that question. <laughs> Ooh, um, probably Shadowdale. Yeah, I think and so. And only because only because Elminster commutes. Yes, and you know you can get a lot of Canadian beer from him. Uh, so I, I would say that would be your a number one location. Yeah. Uh, now the problem of getting to Elminster is a totally, you know, different thing. So got to get through the stuff now. Um, so looking at the timeline, you were at TSR when they launched second edition, which I'm guessing is around 89 ish, 90 ish. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Um, I'd have to look it up, but yeah. Yeah. But let's, let I'm remembering it for my own life. Now I have to say. That moment for me where they put out those books was such a great moment for me and my friends because I felt like it clarified things. It felt like a clean design. Mm-hmm. Like, it was I, – I know you're on the at the realms. I remember at the same time, maybe a year later or two later, they did the Horde, which I loved. I thought the Horde books yes. and the Horde source book – like, tell me about, like, mm-hmm. that. Were you managing the realms at that period in time when I assume it's a Zeb Cook comes to you and, you know – Take us through the horde. What do you recall? Oh gosh, um, the horde. The horde came in the wake of um, the Avatar Crisis, right? Which was very successful. Yes. So the idea of what they would started calling the Big Realms event. Yes. Uh, as a as we've had several of those over the time, and the idea was, um, uh, let's see, it was Zeb, it was Troy Denning. Yes. It was James Louder. Okay. Jim Louder. Yeah, they wrote the books, I remember. Basically that. they were yeah. the they were the Troiko that we were putting together. And it was primarily a book project. Okay. Right. Troy did some uh, trilogy of adventures. Yes. That were really good looking from the uh, um, uh, that were a tie-in for this, but this was first and foremost came out of books, whereas um, uh, the Avatar Crisis was very much a an excuse to get us over to second edition. And basically had you know yeah. game product, and it was shared with the books. So this was more That's a um, book driven uh, uh, event than than that was concerned. And at one po- at one point, uh, you know, the, the the horde was supposed to reach all the way to Cor- uh, get all the way to Cormier. They I, just, I, I think know, they, they should have. Like they, honestly, I I, well, I said this to Zeb. I reckon they, they should have. You know, 
when they when they they got there they realized you know it's not gonna work <laughs> they can't get that far just not so powerful. that was that was that was a big challenge for it is but the yeah problem i mean just that, too powerful or? Much, but i just a physical distance right in the okay. realm so yeah. how are we gonna and physical distance also from a standpoint of okay people are gonna have to we're gonna have to are we gonna have to tell the story yeah. Of going through the Great Dale and Impulter and Raven's Bluff and yeah. you know, uh, all, all of all of that and um, Sembia. Oh my goodness! Yeah. When we did the original realms, uh, there were areas that uh, Ed did not have a whole lot of information on. Sembia sure. was one of them. Sure. Sembia was where the wealthy and stupid merchants came from that the players could could swindle. Yep. In his words. And, you know, we were going to go, okay, we're going to come through Symbia. You're going to come through Symbia. Okay, we're going to come through Symbia. So I actually wrote a story in a comic book that, uh -huh. that basically set ourselves up in Symbia. Okay. And the fandom was displeased with the fact that I, after saying that we aren't going to go to Symbia, you're doing Symbia. Oh, my God, what are you doing? You know, right. we had told them that we're leaving Symbia aside. Go <laughs> have fun with it. If you're building a campaign, that's a good place to do it. And then, of course, the Horde, di the Horde didn't reach Symbia. So <laughs> yeah, they they did um pretty well. Uh, I forget how they lost, but it was a, they put a pretty good effort in. I felt mm. that it was it was based off yeah. um, Genghis oh. Khan, yeah, like basically. Yes, yeah. yes. There were yeah, a number of you know things that we did. Uh, uh, Doug did a lot of stuff that was history related when mm. we did um, uh, Maztica. That right. was you know his gig, and basically you see a lot of uh, Kalimshan as Spain. Uh, cool. The New World, the burning of the ships. Yeah. That, that basically, a lot of the historical pieces transposed over into realms lore. And how do you uh, feel you that, that the audience... Because I love all that. So I think that stuff's super mm -hmm. interesting because it's kind of different flavors. And I, I was really trying to get Zeb to open up on it because I just feel like the Oriental Adventures and the Horde were just brilliant. But he was sort of saying when mm -hmm. the attention went... What was his words? Like when it went away from like Western medieval, the audience seemed to drift. Yes. Um, what do you that think? was a challenge, and I, and, I, and I don't disagree with him in the fact that you know basically it is we have all these flavors of fantasy, mm. but the core is that Western Europe, Western European, sure. yeah, uh, nice. you know, uh, yeah. medieval, pseudo medieval, and again filtered through our modern pulp. Uh, consciousness sure. uh, uh, as far as you know what what we think of when we think of you know uh, well, it's not really France mm. you know in, in, in the in the 1100s it's got I always said the realms had more of a more to do with uh, the American West of the 1800s as far as people making changes and using magic in different ways and the mindset is much more of a because you have players involved sure you is much more of a, a Western modern mindset than a truly traditional oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. mindset of that of that era so you know there's a lot more you know a lot less feudalism, a lot more. You know what it can democracy. be sometimes? I think it can be very Renaissance fairish. Like, every, yeah, everyone's dressed up, well, but, you know, like, it's still a bit modern, which I like. I mean, I'm not criticizing. But but I always, this is just my opinion, and you're a guy who was there. I always felt TCR mm -hmm. could have pushed harder into Orient, Oriental adventures because ninjas and samurais, they were hot back then. You know what I mean? Like... Um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that did push it. But yeah, the Oriental Adventures had to handle all of Asia. 
Yeah. You know, it had, he had two Chinas, he had two, two Japans, you know, and basically there's enough difference between, and that's something we know now that I think is in popular culture that we're aware that we had different, very different cultures as opposed to this great lump of, you know, uh, uh, material that we got from uh, uh, watching bad Hong Kong sure. uh, action but, but flicks and hopping vampires. Who did Carator? Was was that Zeb? Was that like Carator? That was that, Zeb. Zeb was, Zeb was Carator. Loved it, man. And man. like, I'll be honest I with did you, a, I thought it was brilliant. I did a couple adventures in it. One was Ochimo, yeah. which again, melding all the co- colors, I started with Angor uh, Watt as a basis for it. Oh, cool. And That's cool. Um, man, Bad Monkey versus the Dragon Claw, and how which did those was our Chopsaki. How did they go? Hmm? Like, how did they go? Did they sell well? Like at the time, do you remember? They did okay. They they did okay. They didn't sell as well as uh, um, um, the you know sta- the Forgotten Realms material sure. uh, support material. But every time they, I remember looking at the green sheets, and every time we released a new module, the sales of the core book bumped. Yeah. That so you know, sense. basically, it kept it kept the line alive as far as people were paying attention to it, and uh, I think Ben Riggs, who is another writer who has been doing Slaying the Dragon, talking about TSR sales, right. has access to the green sheets, wow. which were our sales sheets. And at one time, we Gosh. all got them. Yeah, you know, that's we, cool. We all got these these printouts in green and white paper that you know basically said what everything was selling and what everything had sold and i i lost mine years ago and i have a, a colleague who's an editor who actually was using it as scratch paper yeah. you know so all oh, the good yeah. stuff that was at the top of the line he's long since gotten rid of and what's <laughs> left is how well green green leaf needle women you know sold as far as <laughs> items were concerned well, the, but i think that i yeah. think ben has we we, we were talking when he was doing the research we said go find the green sheets and apparently he has so he's shown up with a lot of information about That's you cool. know where uh, See, what was I, I'd selling be interested in that. I'd be, that kind of thing, just as a casual interest, uh, like it's either cool or really depressing, depending on how your module went, I guess. <laughs> it is. You know, I mean, like, we, we had a lot of challenges maintaining. I mean, we were the, the big guys. We were, we had a, you know, yeah. a full-time staff. We had a warehouse. Yeah. Oh my sure. goodness. You know, and so a lot of, uh, you know, it, and that comes with a lot of price tags for it. So we went through a lot of, you know, uh, good times and, and bad times. Yeah, let's, you know, uh, I'm going to shift away to a different area, but, like, let's talk about that for a second. Like, so you leave in war, is it mid-90s or is it a bit later or earlier? Like, when do you? Oh, goodness. I think it was early 90s, mid-90s. And was that, like... I should check my own personal timeline here. Was it a bit like was the market oversaturated, or was it was there was it more of a cash flow crunch? Like, what was the problem from your side with that you were seeing? Like, did money just dry up in the company? One, actually, I, I, actually, as far as leaving TSR, yeah, it was much more a case of I found myself repeating. I found myself, you know, gotcha. where is the next challenge? Sure, um, I've. There was so I, it was not anything they particularly did. I actually wrote this up on my blog okay. of why I left TSR. On it. the blog oh. is Grub Street, okay. um, two Bs, and it basically it's worked on a um, revision of Mastara, uh-huh. 
which was the known world, and actually I named it Mistara, um, where we were going to do the whole realms trick on it, where we were going to do a whole big book, and we were going to talk about uh, Alarum, and we were going to talk about Karamikos, and we were going to talk about the Arendi Isles, and basically have the whole, and basically took all of the um, uh, kits from D&D, sorry, all of the uh, subclasses from D&D that came out through the Gazetteers, uh-huh. which we mentioned Bruce heard before, he was sort of like the head honcho, the defender of, you know, Mastara, yeah. um, of the known world, and transfer them over into kits, which was our subclass version in second edition. So a lot of design work, and then we changed our mind and right. decided that the first product was only going to be about Karamikos. And it was going to have a CD, uh, an audio CD in it. Wow. And your deadlines don't change. Right, right, right. That sounds like a nightmare. And we did it, and (laughs) it came out really good. Uh, Andrea Hedy was our editor. She did a fantastic job. Peggy Cooper was our art director. She was great. Uh, Janelle Jacquet did the covers of the the first box set and the Karamiko set, and that was really, really good. I mean, it really came out well, but... At that point, I was tired. Yeah, but we burn out. And it sounds like op- it's hard. And know? opportunities presented themselves on the outside. Sure. Uh, Margaret Weiss yeah. was launching uh, Magforce Seven, and we uh, love we love Margaret. On, we love Margaret on Signal. She's great. She's fantastic. Oh, good. Yes, <laughs> she. Well, she is fantastic. Yeah. And you know, they were doing a a Wing Commander game and a, eventually a Star Trek card game. This was during the during the big. Um, uh, card collectible card boom. Right. You know when, yeah. when everybody had a collectible card game. Yeah. And uh, so I that that was literally I chose to leave and going to do something else. And yeah, that was fair. that was my uh that was my story. It probably was a now good call, man. You know, probably a very I, good I was, call. I was I was la- I was laid off by Watsy, so that's right. you know a, a different tale. Right. Yeah. 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 I got you. Like. But yeah, you 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 sort of other things are happening, and you know, and like forget, I don't mean to pry, but was the money great doing mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, or was it just like a lot of work, and it was a bit more like it was okay money and just a ton of work, like because it was yeah. it was good money. It yeah. was um, we were living in rural Wisconsin, sure. So you know the the uh, um, uh, cost of living was not horrible. Sure, um, we were had the opportunity to write uh, novels and other game product yeah. for yeah. Wizards of the Co- for TSR during that period. So they basically there was you know supplemental uh, abilities. So it wasn't bad. We oh, uh, I, 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 we had a house. Yeah. we had you know we we, we did well. Good. And uh, well, yeah. I'm glad to hear I, that. I, 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 mm-hmm. So there, are, yeah, well, that's good because, like, like I was saying, you hear so many horror stories. Sometimes you hear it in comics oh, too, yeah. and sometimes people are just taken advantage of so badly, and it, it frustrates me a little bit. And sometimes, but it seems in your case, it's good. Now, a question I had, I, 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 I did not escape unscathed. No, well, no one does, I, man. Know, in life, no like one the, does in life, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> now, um, I did like because I wanted to shift to your Forgotten Realms comics. I, I read mm-hmm. a couple of the um story arcs including the avatar one and also the one you did in right. the and they're great and my god you had rex morales who's a fantastic artist yes. like yeah what a- and, he, and he was he was he was the kid at the time this yeah. was like his you know yeah. first big break and he was just amazing beautiful mm-hmm. beautiful artwork and, and it, can i say as well uh really i don't know how many comics you've done but very very nice comic books now i liked you put the character from Carator in the forgotten realms i think her name was ishi 
um, in the in the comic book. So yes. you you had an appearance there. Now, um, basically, a question I have here is uh, it's from from Michael. He says everyone knows Ed Greenwood is really Elminster, but who at TSR was most like Zastam? I believe he's the leech, isn't he? At, um, Ooh, at, okay. And who I, would be I your avatar? Who would be your avatar? Uh, the Jazz Tam yeah. basically predates um, uh, TSR purchasing the realms. Right. So basically, well, if Jazz Tam has a uh, inspiration, uh, <laughs> it's a very it, it evil person. <laughs> is, it, it, it may be someone in Ed's history. I'm going to say <laughs> probably he's he's made out of whole cloth. You know, yeah, as, yeah. as far as being being the, being the bad guys, um, the character that is my well. Alias, yeah, I was going to say, very yeah. much. okay. Both, both from that personality and history, but also the uh, she's rather short-tempered. She doesn't oh, solve, uh, suffer yeah. fools gladly. Yeah. Uh, she's a little more explosive than I am, but uh, I'd say that character basically is closest to me. I, I have a, a, a follow-up question. That's a good answer. Now, I I must admit, uh, you know, sue me. I haven't read the the next two in the trilogy, although I will. But I was reading on Wikipedia or somewhere, read it maybe, that they were saying um, it, you deliberately kind of make her more emotionally immature as the series goes on. Was that a conscious decision? Like, I don't know hmm. what that really means, okay. but yeah, that was what they said. I don't said, know. I don't. You know? I, I don't know if I agree with that. And yeah. I don't know. It's if, just someone's opinion, man. Um, there, you know, it, 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 that's that's a you know. A pertinent point, but I I don't don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, as because far she's as a cool character. character right? I think I like her. I, I think she gets mature over time. Yeah. Now she's you know in the second book she is not the main character. I okay. mean that's uh, Joji Wivernspur, who's very much a Bertie Wooster type of. Yes, upper I know. Class the he's in the first book too. The sort of young noble. He's in the first. Yeah. He's in the. First First book, when we started talking about doing a sequel, Mary Kirchhoff said, you know, I like, like what you've done here, but the character I think you can really work with is, is Joji. So we said, okay, we'll do Joji. So, and do so you have the, the, the one center. with the, do you have any with the clones, which is very Spider-Man mm -hmm. clone saga, do you have any where the clones are the main character or a major character? Um, we okay. After we finish the third book, we walked away from that we did not oh, do that okay we, yeah. we didn't continue it being being the being this the story of the alii gotcha. uh the right. potential existed but you know we were not uh um yeah you said like we're done if they, ever, if they ever decide they need another alias novel mm. they're free to call me yeah they keep got got number. and my wife and i you know yeah we, we could do something but in the meantime that's okay. It's a complete story. It's resolved. It's part of its universe, yeah. and it just you know it feels right. I don't feel a need to you know basically keep on going to exhaustion. You don't just. It's not a case where you just have to milk a dry like the corporations were doing now. They're like we just mm. got to keep on churning and burning, <laughs> like book seventy two. <laughs> they, they basically their characters. They belong to uh, uh, Wizards of the Coast. Sure. Go have fun. I mean, uh, there's a beautiful art piece in Tales of the Yawning Portal of the uh, of uh, that's a cartoon that's done with all the characters and the Forgotten Realms comic characters are there and Alias and Dragonbait are there. What's and this Dragonbait shows up. What's hmm? this? What, I think what's... it's in Tales of the Yawning. It, it's a, it's a the cartoon of the, uh, it shows the interior of the uh, Yawning Portal, okay. which is a, a bar in uh, uh, in. Uh, 
water deep with a well in the middle that basically leads to the underground. And That's they cool. just stocked it with every character that um, has appeared That's cool. in uh, the various various media up to that point. That's really and so cool. that would be and uh, Dragon Bait shows up in a adventure path that uh, I think James Jim Louder worked uh, on. So yep. it was set in Chult. You know, he has a new 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 partner, and that's that's sort of like again, characters evolve, characters change, different hands come in. Sure, I don't worry about uh, no, you no, know what what yeah. they've done with characters. I, I mm-hmm. think you I think you guys did a fantastic job. Um, now. Uh, Elizabeth asks, did the characters from your Forgotten Realms comic or the AD&D ones ever appear in any novels or short stories? Um, she's uh, exploring all the novels. She got into it via your comics, into the Forgotten Realms. Yes. Mm. There was one, maybe two short stories in Dragon Magazine. And I'm sorry, I cannot <laughs> Can't give pull them out numbers on, the, on, the, on the spur of the moment. <laughs> That's okay, but um, if I, that, if I if I knew if I knew I would have kept kept my put my CV up here on the computer and be able to say, <laughs> oh yes, that was nineteen eighty seven. Um, you know, I also noticed mm-hmm. Jan Dershima, um, who she's a fantastic artist. She did some of your work mm-hmm. in the original. Beautiful artist works a lot with John Ostrander. Um, mm-hmm. Did you work closely with yes. the artist, or was it a case of mailing her the script? What was the story? Um, the working with Jan was uh, for the AD and D book, which was my audition. Mm-hmm. Uh, the AD and D book first four issues were written by Mike Fleischer, yes, who did uh, the uh, the Spectre among other things. Oh yeah, and quite, he did the first right. four, and then and then, he, then he was then he was done. So he needed someone else. And gosh, I'm gonna forget that someone else did the second four, and I did an audition that was set in Waterdeep with those characters. And based on those the four issues I did for theirs, we were getting the Forgotten Realms uh, book started, mm. and I got Agravar. From because the new writer didn't want to want to work with him, mm-hmm. um, he wanted to go in other directions with the characters, and so I adopted Agravar and created Omen and Minder and you know Foxy and all all the rest yeah. for the Forgotten Realms book. So basically, and while um, the AD and D comic book was centered in Waterdeep, yes, uh, we we basically ha- came up with the the ship, the Realms Master, awesome. that allowed me to be anywhere. You yeah. know, so I could basically do a story in uh, the Dale Lands, and then do a story in Halrua, and then do a story in the Anorak Desert. So I could basically have a lot more um, versatility yeah. in how the characters. I have a lot of the actually original art hanging on my walls here That's by cool. Rags, and and I have a, uh, a la- in fact behind me I have the. Um, uh, piece of Jan's art, which yeah. was the last page of the first issue that I wrote for the AD&D book, which shows Xanathar, Mind Flayer, yes. Drow. You know, it, it's got everything right. that, the, that the realms is part of. So, sorry, the, the, a trilogy of bad guys. There. That's awesome. So, and I, that, yeah. Now, I noticed mm-hmm. one of your um, editors was Elliot S. Megan. Now, Elliot's been on the show a couple yes. of times. Great guy, Elliot, by the way. Now He is. Yeah. Elliot, Elliot's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, um, so did you have much to do with him? Because he was a fantastic writer himself, one of the best Superman writers they've ever had. Yes. Yeah. I, I saw I, his name and I was very like, cool. Good, we've had very good editors all the way through. Yeah. We had um, uh, uh, the late Kim Yale. 
Mm-hmm. We had Elliot, who was, you know, basically, you know, just fantastic. Um, so th- this was this was just, you know, and we got a lot of work done. And we're uh, working with Jen. We, we were asking about how tightly we worked with Jen. And mm. It was very much a working through the editor at that point. Gotcha. But when I started on the Realms book, Rags and I would talk all the time. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was a really, you know, and again, this is one of the reasons that it works so well is, they, we had to approve all of the stories, mm. and so I. So basically, if I could show Jim the uh, script before I sent it to Rags, because uh, of course <laughs> he'd approve TSR it. Would have so to we approve could, it themselves. Yeah, we just we just cut we cut that piece out, you know. And yeah. he he basically you know basically when it comes back, he says, "Yep, that's what Jeff wrote. We're fine." <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Did did he ever give? I mean, I don't know how many comic books you ever wrote. Did, did Elliot ever give you notes? Like, because I mean, he wrote so many, like hundreds. Yes. Of them. Yeah. Yes, he, he often complained that he would basically make a note in the margins and then realize that it was a setup for a line uh, that, I, that, I was with, that I would resolve three pages later and you have to go back and scribble it out. Yeah, so I like it. Well, so, yes, yeah. he, he was really good on feedback. He was really good on characterization. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I enjoyed working with him tremendously. That's cool, man. Yeah, no, we had him on the show, and he's a delight to chat to. Just a real chilled-out unit oh, yeah. as well. Um, now, mm-hmm. Michael's mentioning, he says, your Forgotten Robs comic is excellent. When that wrapped up, were you ever tempted to enter the cutthroat-slash-thankless cut world of comic books full-time and write more titles? I wrote a few comics uh, uh, since then. Yeah. I did a Superman Adventures. Uh, I did a... Um, uh, the Grand Tour of the Realm, some promotional comic books. I did a, I did a Planescape comics, a couple Planescape comics. Really? One that was in yeah. the Blood War, one that was in the, I think the Blood Wars box set, and one that was uh, basically a promotional comic that eventually showed up as a PDF. So, you know, I, I have a page page from that uh, hanging around somewhere here. So he's got, so I've got those, so I've done that. Mm. Um, something to push Dragon Strike from Marvel. Would you oh, ever want to do like else. if someone said to you uh, Spider Man or something like that, something that's not D and D? Would you have ever pursued mm-hmm. that? Do you know what I mean? Would that have you know been an idea? I think it'd be an interesting challenge. I don't you know have like a Spider Man story in my back pocket. Sure, but you know, give me a week. So yeah, well, that's, well, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the sort of thing that I truly enjoy. You know, the, the amount of product the storytelling in. Mm-hmm. I was just saying storytelling yeah, in no. comic book. It's mm. a it's a different. It's you know games different from novels, different mm. from short stories, different from comics, mm. and they all have their strengths and their challenges. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed the cooperative nature mm. of working with Rags and basically you know uh, some of the other books. I was basically do the script and be oh here's what the art lo- looks like. Sure, I did a D and D comic based on one of ed's short stories right cool. and transferred it over from the text into a into a two-issue comic book yeah and that was that was fun as well we, so yeah so yes i've done i've been doing it off and on and if you know it holds up his, his you know, the, the phone symbol next to his next to his face yeah. and says, call me you know <laughs> well it's it's so interesting because like you're so right like a, a novel is different from a, a game module or mm-hmm. source book which is different from a comic now We've had on um, Chuck Dixon's come on a lot. He's a acclaimed comic book writer, and he's been on like yeah. twenty times. Say he's great. Now, 
he has a, such a long career doing comics novels. Now, he was given the job, and he's told the story on the show, of adapting Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time, and he said it was a thankless task. He, he Like, he really... Oh, yeah. Like, this, like, and I've read the first two novels, but there's a lot of padding. And he was saying, like, adapting it was hard because sometimes nothing's happening. Like, and it's like... You've, I, I would think it'd be easier to write a story that you've come up with yourself for a comic book than adapting. If you threw me Lord of the Rings and went adapt it, I'd be like, oh, Jesus. You know, like, it's going to well, be hard. Okay. Wizard of the Coast did a real-of-time role-playing game. Okay, right. And the designer had to read all the Wheel-of-time books up to that point. Sure. It's a lot and of you would hear him softly moaning in his cube. About the challenge yeah. of being able to bring it bring it to life in the role playing environment, you know. And again, because everything's got strengths, everything's got weaknesses. Yeah. And you know, this is, you know, one of the things when you're trying to do an adaptation. How do you keep the spirit mm. of the original? Identify the spirit of the original, and then maintain it through a completely different media. Yeah, Jordan was an incredible world builder. I will say that for him. I think mm-hmm. he was no, I actually think he was top notch. I I I the, the novels are interesting, but they're slow. They they're a slog. They're like, oh Jesus Christ, like everyone has to walk from here to there to there to there and it's there's a lot of internal sort of almost angsty thought at times where you're sort of like I, I do feel a good editor could chop out like easily a third of each book, you know? The uh, well, the adapt uh, there's a, a streaming adaptation. Yes, which, there is. You know, yeah. I have not seen, but I've heard heard things of, and that's that's another media where they're trying to bring it across. And they've certainly, so. um, we've watched the first season. It's not bad. Like mm-hmm. I enjoy the story, okay. but it's but it's um they've chopped a lot down. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. It's it's kind of like the Cliff Notes version of the first book. Um, it's just interesting. I, it, yeah. It's just I feel that if I was if I was going to do a comic book like this, I would. If you said to me D and D comic book, Dave, I'd be better probably doing one of my own books. And if you threw me one of the, you know, books and said adapt this novel into a comic, I think that could be quite hard at times. Just my you know personal. Well, remember the you know, the the D and D Forgotten Realms books. Those were my characters. You know, I, yeah. I helped build them. So of therefore, course. you know that's Easy. you know yeah, that 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 allowed us a lot of leeway as opposed to walking in and having the massive canon of yeah, yeah. the X Men. Yeah, true. And I, I would, I would love the op. I, I wrote a Spider Man uh, Choose Your Own Adventure book. Really? As well. That's cool. Yeah, City and called City in Darkness, and it was, you know, it was basically, you know, you know it was basically writing a, a, a Choose Your Own Adventure for Spider Man. My wife wrote one, two of them. She wrote one for Captain America and one for the X Men. That's cool. And this was. What thirty years ago? Wow. Well, yeah, we yeah. those were fun. You know, uh, I don't know. You know, War Inspector, uh, Deus Ex, uh, yes, uh, game designer. Yeah, he actually wrote one about the thing. That's cool. Well, they're cool characters. He, he was, he was Jim Ward's second in command. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, now, At the time. I, I think that's so cool. Now, Spelljammer um, always seemed like a fascinating expansion to me. The cover art uh, always blew me away. Mm-hmm. I was a bit too young for it. But can you tell us about how it came about? And did you dream this all up by yourself? Because it's Dungeons and Dragons in space, basically, isn't it? Like they're, fl- they're flying yes. around on ships, yeah? Yes. Yes. And, you know, the connection between D&D and space has been done, you know, a couple of times. It goes, where it comes from, and I've told this story a couple of times. Sure. Um, we went to a local bar rest- 
restaurant. Mm-hmm. I think it was called Augie's at the time uh, for a big uh, summit. All the designers and editors sat around the table. Jim Ward was leading the discussion. Um, what are we going to do next? Sure. Okay. And this was this was the challenge. We had had lunch. We, we had drinks. We were we were talking about it, and I pitched the idea of D and D in space. Mm-hmm. There is you're standing on a ship. Mm-hmm. In space, you don't need a spacesuit. Yeah. You don't float away. You no. don't freeze to death. You don't 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 blow up. This is what how how this is this is what you and effectively that's what the cover is. Okay, it is. so it's, it's cool. It's with great. The yeah. Image. yeah. And this is where it where where it begins. And we out of that discussion, we had Spelljammer and we had Time of the Dragons, which was the other side of Kryn mm-hmm. that Zeb Cook was doing. Oh, God. so and work. On it, uh, this was at a time when we had a standard where we said we, you're going to book books are going to be this big, you're going to mm-hmm. get 24 pieces of paper uh, of cardboard that you're going to be you got to put stuff on it. And for me, it was a great opportunity of putting ship designs on it. Mm. And this was a great uh, working relationship. Uh, Jim Holloway was the artist, mm-hmm. and I would ask him for uh, give me a ship that looks like a hammerhead shark. Yeah. And he gave me a ship that looks like a hammerhead shark. And then Dave LaForce, Diesel, our map maker, would look at it and says, okay, this is how the decks are arranged based on it. And we got the whole idea of gravity planes and crystal spheres. We came out of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, out of, you know, like what we thought was old um, medieval prints and, you know, mm-hmm. science and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it grew out of that. So it was very much a combination effort of a lot of very talented. Steve Winter was the editor on it, I remember. Yeah. Uh, it, it just of uh, very talented people coming together and it produced a really superior product. It, it did, was did very, very popular I, amongst the, the mm-hmm. hardcore guys. I remember that they loved yeah. the spell jammer. Like I, I actually do remember that. And I was younger and I was always a bit like I I, I I tried to read it and it was a bit much for me at the time as a kid, but they loved mm-hmm. it. And were you flying with well not you, but were the characters flying around from planet to planet, like in Star Trek? Is that how it worked? Yeah, the the idea well it, the idea was that you uh, you basically how to make everyone's campaign because they have different stars, they have different arrangements, they have sure. different physical laws, different. You know how to and we hit upon the idea that they are crystal shells floating in a in a uh, phlogiston ocean, and oh. phlogiston was explosive in nature, which basically kept people from you know throwing doing cannons that sort. Of, though there is a race that does cannons in there, I see. And, and basically allowed the realms to have its existence without having to worry about what's going over in Dragonlance or Greyhawk, and oh, the I see. so. There was a lot of like world building problem solving like that of how do we want to do it, and part of it is a travel between worlds yeah. campaign. Okay, gotcha. that's cool. Yeah. But part of it also was we had the Rock of Brawl, which basically was a home base, was our water deep. Yeah, that basically you could work out of it like our Deep Space Nine and yeah. be able to you know basically cool. basically work out. And we had our Great White Whale, our uh, the Spell Jammer itself. Uh-huh. Which was this huge manta ray city ship oh. that was, you know, and that in turn uh, spun off both a comic book and a novel series by Jim Lauder that basically, you know, was dealing more with that sort of uh, how that, how, you know, how that plays out. So basically had a, a lot of expandability. Yeah. A lot of creatives came in. They talked about the, uh, uh, the Unhuman Wars. I think we made a reference to that. In- 
like in a left-handed comment somewhere. Oh, yes, during the Unhuman Wars. Someone expanded out. They did War Captain's Companion, which was much more detailed ship-to-ship combat. So it basically was a great foundation that allowed a lot of people to come in and create cool stuff. Dude, it sounds awesome. Now, of course, they they revised the whole thing, which was a surprise to me. I saw that, and I was going to ask you that. Am I right in saying they just Mm -hmm. bypassed you 1,000% on that? They just were like... We'll do our own thing. Is that yeah. what will happen? That's disappointing to me. Uh, you know, you know. And, well, no, it, it, it's kind of cool. I, I mean, okay. I, literally, I'm like four miles away from where Wizards of the Coast is based right now. Up sure. Here in Seattle. So, right. yeah. The fact that, you know, I, I didn't find out about it is just is, is a little disappointing. Yeah. But by the same token, I think game design is a conversation. Sure. It's very much... I present something, you say, oh, that's really good, but this and this and this doesn't work. Yeah. I'm going to change it. Okay. And then it goes another five years, and people say, well, the way people play games has changed. Yeah. You need to change these things. You know, mm. you need to, and then someone else comes, I got a great idea. This is how we can use this as a base. And so what we see is a foundation, and then people, you know, build on it. And people yes. create, and people grow, and that's why I say it's a conversation. It, it, so I don't, I don't. I'm very proud of what what we've done. Sure. And the sure. the team we had did a fantastic job. But I am not upset that they uh, they have suddenly decided to uh, have another guy. Uh, they decide yeah. to go into direction they did attention to change things they aren't doing as much of the their their phlogiston is now an astral sea. Go have it. Go have at it, guys. Sure. You know this, and this is. Things have to grow. Things have to change. You can't just do the same stuff over and over again. If it catches the spirit and the flavor of the original uh, Spelljammer, that's great. Um, In the interim, between the two parts, Andy Collins did a very good Spelljammer um, article series, uh, article uh, uh, single issue in Polyhedron, Dragon Magazine, something like that. It, it was basically a one-issue complete role-playing game, uh, Secrets of the Spider Moon. That's cool. Yeah, well, uh, which look, all I know is that... with the Yogi, and that, that, and again, that, and he went in a different direction, and that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, that is D and D too, isn't it? And done, and, and just not just D and D role-playing games in general. They often veer off script. Yes. You know when you when you're playing them, like yeah, well. You know, well, the, 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 that's just there's no script. It, right. It's the idea of like when your D and D group is playing together, you don't. It's like they're going to a part of the realms that Ed Greenwood has never been been to, and yeah. he's in the kitchen basically making notes very that's quickly. <laughs> so it, it can be a bit so, like herding and, cats, kind of. It can be a bit like herding cats. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. You know. Um, but I, I, I think they, in general, we've done a good job over there. No, years, definitely. You know? um, Elizabeth asked, uh, you mentioned the novels mm-hmm. and comics. She asked, as a creator of Spelljammer, why didn't you write any novels of the comic book series? You were saying um, someone else had done them? Yes. Um, and I'm, I can't pull the names out of my ears right now. Sure. You know, I wish I had my uh, uh, access to everything. Um I was writing the Forgotten Realms books during. Yeah, you're busy. So basically, basically. picking up another, another. So, so my and doing another novel on top of that would have been. Yeah. Uh, a bit much. There's only one uh, of those you. Who There's only did, one of you. Okay, did a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. And I was, you know, again traffic copying part of it, and we through the years things changed. Sure. In the fact that. 
Jim Ward was very good <clears throat> at prying my fingers off my latest favorite toy yeah. and sending me in a new direction. Right. Uh, yeah. It's the idea of I you got Spelljammer, you love Spelljammer. Spell, okay, now you have to stop doing that and think about Al Kadim or Mistaro or yeah. whatever the next project is. Because well, the next the big, business, big thing yeah. is. And cool. well, and he was he was very, very good at this as far as you know, basically hanging the you know, the shiny object in front of me saying, Would you like to work on this? Yeah. And uh, I would think, Well, yeah. Well then you're going to have to pass it on to the next generation. Exactly. And, now, it, excuse me. We had good edit. We had good editors yeah. and good product managers. I mentioned Karen Boomgarden. Stephen Shend basically picked up a lot of my Marvel stuff when I moved on. Mm -hmm. And these were very devoted, dedicated people who basically continued to grow the line. That's great. Did um? Excuse I, me. I got a cough here. Yeah, you you, you go ahead and cough. <laughs> okay. Um, it seemed to me as an observer that Spelljammer, for example, would have made a great Saturday morning cartoon. The concept of D&D &D in space and what you just described, mm -hmm. it's pretty... I could see that as a Saturday morning cartoon back in the 80s or 90s, you know? It could have. It could have. I actually... Uh, um... It went the models. The one of my regrets in life is we had a Nautiloid model, and it went west for pitches that uh, Flint Dilly was making mm -hmm. for uh, you know like like uh, uh, a uh, a line. We were going to do a <sighs> intro to Dungeons and Dragons with a videotape, much like Dragon Strike. That's cool. Called Wild Space. Mm -hmm. And that was going to be set in um, Wild Space was you know part of the uh, um, Spelljammer, right? You yeah. know, universe. So he was doing a product called, and we had a prototype, and they did some early filming, and it's probably you know like on a YouTube video someplace, mm -hmm. sure. And you know, and do a ride, you know, at oh, a, cool. a theme park, and yeah, nothing right. happened with it, you know, over time. So you're 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 not off. Basically, mm. there was thoughts about how they could do this mm. thing. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's Hollywood as well. Like it's hard, you know. Everything is in yeah. You're in development hell, like and, that, and, you know. And, well, and years later, I was trying to track down the model. And I was told someone dropped it and it broke. So. Yeah, yeah, that's like okay. <sighs> um, mm. Now, uh, I've got a question here. Harper asks, "I wonder what Jeff thinks about the current state of Forgotten Realms." Now, I also want to mention. I know in modern day D and D, they're always quite keen to mm -hmm. clean it up, remove unsavory elements like slavery or even evil races. And I, I personally feel they take away some of the flavor. But as a creator and a former game designer of D&D &D and with all your experience, what's your take on the current situation? I don't know enough because I'm mm. still picking up and reading D&D &D books. I sure. think several of them are excellent. Sure. Uh, I thought that uh, the first one they did with uh, the Steve uh, Winter and uh, Wolfgang Bauer and Cobalt Publishing put together was uh, very good. And I ran that for uh, one of my gang at, uh, uh, for some of my gang at a, uh, uh, one of the computer game companies I was working for. Sure. And so I think they got the potential. The idea that we suddenly cleaned up is a little bit of a misnomer. We had a, we had effectively the comics code. 
Sure. When when uh, Harold Johnson was my boss, we we basically took it and they said, "This is the comics code from the 1950s. This is what we're going to basically." So we had to deal with you know how are we going to handle the undead? How are we going to handle uh, sure. slavery? How are we going to handle the various various you know the random prostitute table? You know that sort of thing. <laughs> it, it, it's been, but it's been an ongoing discussion yeah. all the way through. Yeah. Okay, so the idea that we suddenly suddenly. Uh, yeah. One morning, decided no, we're going to get rid of evil races. No, they've they've seen that evolution over the over time, yeah. and you know the whole thing of, um, you know, uh, Dritz is our hero, and he's a dark elf, sure. you know, and yeah. they see the idea of evil races. Okay, the races are not evil. We've got a, our key member here mm. is not evil, mm. so therefore, you know, obviously there are some there's some way of uh, there's some space. To well, be able to, I agree. You know, to, to, to talk about it. You, know? I, I remember, you can have evil societies, but... Uh, yeah. Mm. Dude, I remember. That's so right. I remember back in the 80s, dude, late 80s, you'd be playing, like, adventures and modules, and there certainly would mm. be characters that were, like, I don't know what they were. Like, you know, let's say, let's say, a, a, what do you call them, like, orcs or goblins or whatever... And there would it would mm-hmm. it wouldn't just be that they were just peons to always slaughter. You know, there'd be moments of mm-hmm. uh, diplomacy and stuff. Like, and this is this is like this is decades oh, yeah. ago. You know what I mean? Like, so it's yeah, it's it's it's, well, it's, it's quite it, complicated. It, it, it's interesting when I this was back in the seventies, yeah. but I had two different D and D groups, and in one D and D groups, kobolds were these evil, trap springing, dangerous, drop a piano on you type, you know, bad guys. Right. And the other ones, the kobolds were the kobold with the teddy bear, and you know, basically, right. he comes on board and has adventures, and they adopt him. And I brought <laughs> both good both uh, groups together, and I threw kobolds at him. Not thinking about it at the time, and the the group just completely self destructed. Wow. As far as you know, the, the Pittsburgh crew wanted to talk to the Cobalt. The other ones I said, "No, we cannot trust them." So yeah. it, it's a good storytelling thing. It's a good good moral lesson there. But uh, the the idea that you know, like I like again, conversation. We're growing. We're changing. Yeah, and I, I, what it is. I think that that's part of the part of the process, you know. And sometimes they're going to do things I don't necessarily agree with, but I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to follow along out of morbid curiosity, if nothing else. I've got a question for you. Um, I remember when yeah. Second Edition came out, they outlawed assassins. Mm-hmm. Isn't there some story? Was it you who called oh, Bob Salvatore? Mm, tell us the story, mm, man, because it's yeah. great. Bob Salvatore, I tell the same story. Except, you know, depends on the, the situation sure, of you know, sure. how it resolves. But when we did second edition, we were going to get rid of assassins. We were talking about, you know, how we're suddenly cleaning up. No, we had to get rid of assassins. Sure. From a game design standpoint, it made a lot of sense because assassins were had some wonky mechanics to them. But anyway, besides assassin, I, and I said, well, hang on, Bob's book, he's got an assassin. Artemis Entry, yeah? Yes. Mm. And, and well, he's got to get rid of that character, <laughs> and says the book department. I go, you're going to tell Bob that he can't use the character anymore? And goes, no, no, no. You're going to tell Bob <laughs> that he can't use the character anymore. So I call up Bob, and I uh, I say, I, well, I got some bad news. We're getting rid of assassins. 
Artemis is a, is, a, is, a, is an assassin. You're going to have to get him. But you get to choose how you're going to take him out on a high note. Basically, do what you want for him, but you gotta, you're got you going to get rid of him. And he, said, he doesn't take that well. He's, he, he's, I, I want, he's an important character. I want to keep him. You know, well, this is what I've, I've got. And so tell you what, let me think about it and call you back. Yeah. And he, you know, he calls me back in like 15 minutes. He says, Artemis is not an assassin. <laughs> and I said, he's not. No, he just kills people for money. Yeah. That's cool. And I said, that works for me. I can deal with that. Yeah, but that's, cl- that's <laughs> so, clever, though, isn't it? It's that's clever. how he saved Artemis. And he, he basically, you know, and, and basically, you know, kept on going with it. And that was just like one of those things. But I, I love the fact that the book department basically said, no, no you get to tell him he can't use use, use uh, Artemis. So, yeah. oh, well. <laughs> no, but it, but it worked out well. And um, I'm looking yes, here. I, I've actually got on my iPad the villain source book, and this is from back in the day, and it says he's an 11th uh, yeah. level thief and a 15th level fighter. Um, this mm-hmm. is from back in the 80s. And that's pretty good. I'm like, he's pretty powerful. He's a great character, Artemis Entry, so I'm glad that, um, you know, he survived. And, and this, is, this is the thing. The D&D realms... Is a is a is a is a lens. Mm-hmm. It's a with how we're looking at this realms, which supposedly exists, and using the terminology that we have available. Uh, when we did Hall of Heroes, Azun was a cavalier because right. cavalier was a class we had. Well, suddenly we don't have cavalier anymore, so our explanation for who is Azun and what his abilities are changes as well. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. and again, this is, yeah. this is it's a little more plastic, it's a little more elastic as far as I like it, how things fit together. Yeah, I like it. And you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but some some of that time of the trouble stuff, it was a little meta. You were sort of switching rule sets and stuff. Oh, yeah. So you could kind of Oh, de- definitely in the comic book. I, you know, I I was I was, you know, there's a sequence where the the ship has crashed in the desert because, mm-hmm. you know, of everything that happened and Omen is kind of freaked out because all the spells have changed levels, you mm. know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. So, like, yeah, yeah. Now, we were very meta about that. I like that kind of stuff. Now, um I've got a a question here from Confused Yelling uh, on Reddit. He says, "What is Jeff's favorite book that he wrote?" So if you had to say your favorite novel or your favorite, you know, oh, source book. Oh, what day is it? Um, what day of the week is it? Yeah. I love Azure. I love Azure Bronze. I love Lord That's Toad. Great. I really like The Brothers War, which is my Magic the Gathering novel. Okay, cool. Yeah, all right. And basically, we haven't talked anything about magic, but it was a case where, you know, we had the antiquity set. They were restarting the... Uh, um, the book line they had a license before with Harper Collins, mm-hmm. and I got to do a very large, uh, huge, massive epic novel mm-hmm. that involved uh, all the all the characters, you know, uh, Urza and Mishra and, and Thanos and everybody. So it, that was that was a favorite, and an uh, um, addition, Cormier, a novel yeah. with Ed Greenwood. Yeah, I where we had yeah. an interesting working relationship in that he wrote the present day plot, mm-hmm. and I wrote all the vignettes from the past. I want to check that one out. And, oh, yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, that's that one's worth worth that's worth worth checking out. So I wrote the history section because the idea there was we wanted to do. I want to say James Clavell. 
I know him. Novel? There's a whole series of, of, of novels in which, you know, it's about like Oklahoma or right. Nebraska. Right. Or, you know, it, it, it's got the, got, it, it's a big, you know, multi generational epic. Mm. And that was our goal when we started Cormier. And so we, you know, and those always, you know, it starts at the dawn of time and then, you know, everything goes, goes to hell from there. But oh. it's, uh, but that one was a really good one because he, Ed, and I have very different writing styles. Right. So we wrote our sections and then we swapped and edited each other. That's and then we turned it in. So my writing tends to be short, punchy, and confusing. Mm-hmm. And his writing tends to be long and engaged and confusing. <laughs> so between the two of us, we sort of balance each other out. <laughs> That's very interesting. I, I will definitely check that out. Mm-hmm. I want to mention um, a, a shout-out. Uh, Connor, a friend of the show and fellow Aussie podcaster, nominated Warcraft The Last Guardian, a book you wrote. Yes. He said it's his favorite yes. Warcraft book. He absolutely loves it. Like, And, the, you know, he was just like, yeah, you've got Jeff Grubb. Tell him that. And I was like, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, and again, Warcraft was the Starcraft novel was excellent as well. Oh, yeah. And in both cases, I was working from material that had oh, the Warcraft novel, Last Guardian, in part, the plot came out of uh, a project they never did, but they wow. had that as backstory. And That's so cool. that was adapted. The Starcraft novel was the first third of the game, yeah. which was interesting because. Uh, uh, one of the guys who helped build the narrative for StarCraft, this guy named James Finney, mm. later became my boss when we worked at ArenaNet. So we wow. had a team up before we even met. That's fantastic. Like, you enjoy, mm-hmm. um, with all the product you've done and all the licensed novels, you enjoy the challenge of working in like the licensed environment? Well, you know, off the... I do. I, I I do like seeing the identifying the challenges and you know trying to you know stay you know not be horribly derivative, but mm. basically help build again build the world, yeah, build yeah. the universe, um, and we, expand things yeah. out. That, that's something that I really ex- excites me. I have you know it also gives me a little more structure mm. to work off of because mm. when I write my own stuff, I'm always off doing keep I keep expanding stuff, and that that's you know death to getting words on the paper. So. Oh, it's hard. Yeah, no, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I, I just want to mention, as we get towards the end here, Guild Wars Nightfall. Yes. I remember Guild Wars was a pretty hot item for a time, and I understand you were a writer yes. for Nightfall. Can you give a taste of what that job was like? Because that yes. was an MMO, yeah? I, it, uh, uh, Guild Wars is an MMO from ArenaNet, um, and I was brought on board at the very tail end of Factions, which was its second uh, um expansion right. and did what was effectively narrative design for uh nightfall which involved a lot of building the story and working with all the various component parts and what do we want to do and what the characters are like and what the character classes are like and basically everybody else you know uh, again it's a whole team of which i was a, sort of like a funnel mm. and basically coming up what is the story how are we going to tell the tale how are we going to change it um and it changes over time it evolves Mm. and for example uh i'll give you an example we had one sequence where uh, i had gone i'd written all the uh vignettes all the uh and recorded them all the vo's been done and then over a weekend they changed who the bad guys were for one of the uh uh one of the quests Right. So, you know, I had written this incredible band of brothers, we few, we happy few, we're going off to battle these creatures. And I come in Monday morning and they say, well, you're going to have to go through and tell and, and remove lines. 
Right. Because, you know, we've changed it from you're fighting frogmen to you're fighting evil spirits. <laughs> and, okay, fine. And I, and I went through everything I wrote, and I discovered that I never identified who the bad guy was all the way through this, this stirring speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our foes are implacable, our foes are, imp- are unbeatable, our foes are to be determined at a later date. Exactly. And that's something that uh, that's a lesson that I basically uh, embrace when I'm doing because writing for an MMO is uh, you're working on a moving train. You're yeah. laying down tracks and here comes the engine. OK, yeah. uh, so and, and there's a lot of iteration. There's a lot of change. A lot of it comes from different uh, requirements. Um, you may, you know, in, in the story say, well, go get me that bottle, you know, over there on the cabinet. Okay, by the time it comes out, it's not a bottle. It's not on a cabinet. Yeah. It's not in the same room. It's, you know, because you have to go, you know, uh, across five zones to get to it. So being aware of how things evolve during the design process is one of the challenges that we have to deal with. Have you seen the TV show Mythic Quest? Have you heard of this? No. No, it's it's like on a service that I don't have. Well, I tell you what, it's exactly what you're talking Mm -hmm. about. It's, It's a comedy. And it's about yeah. uh, like an MMO called Mythic Quest. And it's all about mm-hmm. all the behind the scenes and the writers and the guy running it and blah, blah, blah. And it's it's funny. I reckon someone like you who works in the industry, you'd probably get a chuckle because I'm sure there's some truth in those hills, you know? Probably, probably I'd look at it and cringe, but yeah. Probably, yeah. 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 Oh, but, yeah. I, I had that experience. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. He, he keeps telling them the design team work your magic and just do this and they go it's not magic it requires like a massive amount of programming yes <laughs> like to the art team the, just <laughs> the, the, the line that i use way too often is the writer will fix this yeah <laughs> the writer will fix this um well look we're wrapping up because and- words because words in a computer game are cheap yeah. You know, yeah. until I record them and then they become expensive. So, you know, it, it's a lot more plastic than uh, here, here's what the monster looks like. Here's what the monster looks like after we've gone through the entire process of designing and animating and giving the, you know, the skins and everything else. And okay, it looks slightly different. Let's, we, the, uh, the writer has to be able to adapt. Totally. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think it's really interesting. And, um, we wish you all the best in your career. Now, um, we do have a final question. Uh, Machinus on Reddit. Um, Final question. I'd be curious to know what kind of experience he's had playing D&D, which editions he has played, and if he currently plays or runs a game. So basically, what editions have you played in D&D, and do you still play it, basically? All of them. I started with the little brown box, okay, (laughs) with the three pamphlets on it, and Greyhawk had just come out, okay? So that's way back. Uh... Yeah, I mean, first edition, I got the books from playing uh, uh, as a reward for playing, running the D&D tournament at uh, Gen, the early Gen Cons. Cool. Uh, I was part of the process for, for second edition, third edition. Uh, fourth edition used to play with Bill Slavisek, and we'd play test you know, on Thursday nights. Fifth, ed- uh, fifth edition, I got a thank you. As good. for design consultancy, oh, good. which was, again, which was just review the manuscript. It was, I had very little, you know, to say. Okay. Um, I'm currently playing the new edition, fifth edition, on yes. a uh, Monday night game with uh, Steve Winter, editor extraordinaire, right. as my, uh, as our GM. And we're running through a um, uh, big super dungeon where we've been fighting through a canyon. That's cool. Um, so... 
and I do run on occasion. Right now, I'm running Call of Cthulhu. Oh yeah, I've heard that's very uh, we're popular. We're going through. Uh, yeah. Currently, they're in the midst of Berlin, the Wicked City, right now. But I've done uh, Horror on the Orient Express, at the Mountains of Madness, right. uh, a wide variety of different, you know, third party. I'm a big Cthulhu fan, right? And so we cool. have a Saturday night group that involves uh, uh, Stan Brown, cartoonist and, and game designer, John Ratliff, who is our um, Tolkien expert. Oh. Um and oh. uh, and Steve Winter and a, fr- a fellow named uh, Luis Meja who is you know actually a programmer as opposed to somebody who you know writes stuff. And so. it must be nice for a lot of people to get their brain out of the computer and sometimes get back to basics. You know what I mean? Like if yes, you're looking at a computer screen because we've got um coming up because I only play D and D every now and then. I love it, but I just never have time. But we're going to play on. We've got a full day planned on the twenty eighth of December with my mates, and we're going to play the fifth edition. He's got some module that he's bought we're going to play it and i'm excited because okay i haven't played it in about uh, two years and i and what i played fifth edition i thought it seemed fine i, I was like this works well for me it seems they've simplified it a bit and you know I, right again it's part of the conversation yeah. it's the idea that they have i think solved a lot of challenges mm. that are with have been within D for you know many generations and sure. you know created new opportunities that's it man well, look, Jeff, I, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, and you've mentioned where you're working now. Like, if you ever want to, if you're ever promoting something, I want you to feel free. Come on, Signal. We, we, we scratched the surface, but I feel you've given us, like, a lot of information. I, 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 I've, I've given you the, 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 the top, top level view of this. I know, love it, man. I love it. Literally, I've been, I've been involved in so much stuff yeah. over the years yeah. that you know we could go for another two hours and, just uh, on you know digging and, down into the various uh, various worlds, different novels, different things we've worked on over the years. Well, you know, Ed Greenwood told me what's at the end of the Under Mountain Dungeon or whatever it's called, like the, And I was like, wow! And you, it was like he was telling me this stuff, and I was like, Jesus, that's really intense, man! Like it's like you get into the mm-hmm. heart of the. It's sort of the heart of the story, and you're like, it's it's kind of it's very interesting, just like what you were saying about the aliasing and how you had the seizure. And so it kind of connects at times yeah. with reality. It's interesting. Yeah, it it's it, it's a trick. One of the things that the Undermountain that you know showed up from uh, TSR. Yeah, the maps for that were um, actually Dave Sutherland's maps from his Empire of the Petal Throne campaign. Really? That's so interesting, isn't yeah, it? and it, he adapted a lot of them over for. The Undermountain. Wow. So. It's cool. Well, mm-hmm. look, I also looked up aliases stats, uh, by the way. I'll just give you those stats. <laughs> According to the... I meant to oh, gosh. Uh, is this Hall of Heroes? This is mm-hmm. from the Heroes Law Book, whenever that was. So yep. she's an 8th-level fighter. I feel they're cheaping out there. She's a bit higher than 8th-level, in my opinion. What do you think? Okay, yeah. I think she... Do you reckon she's a bit higher than 8th, In you know, in your mind? or? Oh, nowadays she is. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. No, I, I, I wrote those. So basically, oh, she, I think she fits in for eighth for eighth for second. Ed- well, if it's the Hall of Heroes, that's the uh, okay. Um, All right, eighth yeah. fits in well as far as her abilities compared to other people within yeah. the campaign setting. And eighth is actually when you play, you are actually getting a bit mm-hmm. of power by eighth level. Like it doesn't, you know, you yeah. are pretty powerful. Like she's a pretty good fighter. Mm-hmm. I, I love her. She's great. Well, look, Jeff. Um, Thanks so much for coming on, mate. Um, we wish you all the best and all the best with Elder Scrolls Online. I hope it continues to go from success to success. And if you ever want to come on to promote new product coming out with that, you're more than welcome at Signal. Always welcome. Okie doke. Well, thank you very much. It's been a, been a pleasure talking to you. Cheers, man. <laughs>